Hey, everybody. This is a reminder. We have a new show logo. If you haven't noticed already on your app, we have a great killer new show logo that tells you exactly what the show is about. And I'm very excited about it. And to celebrate, we are offering it on a t-shirt for pre-order. All you got to do to get your shirt is go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the store tab, select your size, your quantity, and hit pre-order. Then you'll see a little button pop up on the bottom of your screen if you're on a phone. And in the top right-hand corner, if you're on a computer, all you got to do is select that button. That's your cart and fill out your information. And we will send off your shirt to be printed on February 1st. When the clock strikes midnight, going from January 31st to February 1st, we are cutting off pre-orders and sending that whole bulk of shirt orders to the printer to be printed, and they will no longer be available on the website. So if you've been wanting to get your t-shirt, go ahead and get it in now because once the clock strikes midnight, it is over, deal done. We are sending it off to the printers and I'm not sure when it's going to be available on the website again. So if you want your shirt, go ahead and get it right now while you listen to this episode. Merkle Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge, and I blow his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling it. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section. You can reach me that way as well. Other way works for me, just get a hold of me. If you want more shows on a weekly basis, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the join button, become a member. You're going to get yourself access to all the Thursday shows, member episodes right there on the website and the Castos app. Plus, you're going to get yourself access to the Tuesday shows ad-free and you're going to get yourself access to all the overtime segments. If that interests you, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today. Friends, if you're looking to EMP proof your home, go to empshield.com. 
check out the devices for your cars and house. And when you purchase that, you can get yourself $50 off every device you order. If you put in the coupon code, Tony, link is in the description of this episode. So you do not forget, make sure you and your family are good to go in those emergencies. And that includes EMP blasts, whether it is a solar flare to an actual attack on the United States or wherever you reside, make sure you guys are good to go. Make sure if you're at the office, your truck, car can still drive with empshield.com. All right, friends, listen, we also are doing a live show this year in Tennessee with Hillbilly Horror Stories. Jerry asked me if I wanted to do a live show with him over there. And I said, absolutely. Where are we doing it? He said Gatlinburg. And I was like, oh, Gatlinburg, that's 45 minutes from my house. You're telling me I don't have to get a hotel? Yeah, I'm down for that action. So here's the information on that. September 30th, 2023 at 1 p.m. is when we start. You got plenty of time to plan for this. We're almost nine months out. You can make sure you can get there. And where is it at? Gatlinburg, Tennessee, my home state, East Tennessee. Love it very much. If you're interested in coming out to this live show with me and Hillbilly Horror Stories, September 30th, 2023 in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, you're going to want to check out the link in the description below, the eventbrite.com link. That's the one you're going to want to click. All right, friends, I hope to see you there in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, September 30th, 2023. All right, this week we have a phenomenal guest coming on the show. We've been putting out heaters and we're just going to keep the heaters rolling as fast and as possible as we can. We had Martin Groves come in studio. Martin is a retired police officer here in the great state of Tennessee. And back in 1993, him and his hunting partner, who was also a police officer, had the terrible terror of a night when they came across three dogmen coming into their tent. They barely escaped with their lives. And they're not the only ones that had this encounter that night because there was a camper about a mile away from them that wasn't so lucky. They were by themselves and they were found the next day torn to pieces. This is a very real experience right out of the LBL. And Martin comes on to tell exactly what happened to him and his partner that night and how they barely escaped with their lives. This is not just Dogman. They had Bigfoot on the scene that night as well, which really left them wondering what is actually going on here. And I'm wondering the same thing. Martin reached out to us because he saw our film Expedition Dogman, which is now available on Amazon, link in the description of this episode. And he wanted to come on and share his experience because after he saw that documentary, he knew he had to talk to us. And I'm really glad he did because he has one of the most dramatic stories I've ever heard in my entire life involving Dogman. And it's happening right in my backyard at the LBL in Tennessee. Let's get to Martin and his horrible, horrific terror of a night in the LBL in 1993. All right, today we got Martin Groves in studio. Martin, how are you, sir? I'm great, and it's very good to be here with you, Tony. Man, I'm glad you're here. Uh, so we we got connected, I think, shortly before the holidays. And uh, the the way it happened for me was Christian Roper. Um, yes. You, I guess, uh, did you see Expedition Dogman, and then you reached out to him? Is that what it was? I had watched the movie, and I thought it was such an excellent uh, uh, performance documentary movie that that I just I wanted to speak with him. Yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and so he was here. Um, he he was here for quite a while working on the film that we're coming out with, and uh, we were talking, and you you came up, and he's like, "You got to talk to this guy," and so I, I looked you up, and in the, quite often, to be honest with you, when I look somebody up. 
uh, I, I reach out and conversation just doesn't, doesn't materialize and it just never happens. And with you, it, it just worked out great. I think you actually, I think what you did is you sent him your book and then he gave me a copy. Yes. yes. And, and uh, I, I read the book and I was just like, holy crap. By the way, your book is probably the first book I've read in a long time. So <laughs> cool, man. I'm very honored. I'm yeah. very honored. Thank you. I, I, uh, I, I, I started reading it and uh, it, it's, it just, the story just grabbed me. And uh, I, part of it's because it takes place here, you know, where, where I live in yes. the same state. And um, Christian couldn't speak higher of you. And uh, then I, I found out that you're friends with Barton Nunley and uh, you were actually at the conference in Paris, Tennessee. And I was there, but I don't remember seeing you. You know, I was, I was in that side room. Uh-huh. So you were in the side room and you were taping and, and speaking with uh, someone, I think possibly a witness. And uh, you were interviewing someone. Yeah. And, and, and I stuck my head in at one time. And I remembered because I actually knew who you were. Okay. And, uh, and I'm, I'm like, okay, uh, I don't need to bother them because I see that they're, they're engaged. But uh, I had seen you in that side room as soon as you walk in on the right. Oh, and I, I, um, that was a fun day. That was a fun day. Josh Turner from Paranormal Roundtable put on a good show uh, or a good conference there. Um, just to let the audience know, listening, I'm already losing my voice. I have throat lozenges in my mouth and um, I'll try not to make any noise with them and stuff. And I'm, as I go, I'm going to lose my voice though. But um, so you were at the conference. We didn't run into each other though. I read your book and the story that you had to share in the book of your experience with this dog man creatures um, and then the different the different aspects of it, I definitely want to hit on, especially in, if I, so I don't forget uh, the metallic, the metallic uh, banging that you heard. Is yes. that what it was? Yes. yes. Yeah. We'll go into that because uh, that's the first time I've ever heard of that and how mm -hmm. it's associated with dogman encounters. Is that, is that how you see it too? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Very much so. So we're going to, we're going to start off today with uh, your encounter. I want you to kind of lay the groundwork as far as who you are, your background, because I think that plays a lot to, to uh, your credibility mm -hmm. and, uh, and what, what you were doing out there and what happened. So we're going to spend this first half of the show talking about your encounter story, what happened to you, and then how did that propel you into gathering other people's encounter stories to uh, understanding certain things about that area. You hear reports, uh, hey, there's a bear attack. And you're like, mm, that doesn't seem quite like a bear attack to me or whatever it is. Right. Um, I want to go into that conversation more into the overtime, but for this segment, I definitely want to talk to you about your encounter story. So if I could just hand it over to you and let you take it away. Uh, who is Martin Groves? Oh, that, <laughs> that, that, that is, that is a perplexing question. And, uh, I'm, I don't know, maybe my wife should answer that one better than me, but, uh, I'm a very humble guy and, uh, it's very hard for me to talk about myself, but, uh, um, I'm, I'm Martin Groves. Uh, I am a retired police officer. Um, I was a police officer for 32 years of my life, ever since I was 18 years of age. And I started in a small town up in Kentucky. And uh, I knew that I wanted to be a police officer because I wanted to help people. And so I spent uh, all of my adult, teenage and adult life uh, being trained as a police officer and, uh, I liked what I was doing and I continued with my career. Um, the humble part comes in. It's, it's kind of hard for me to talk about my training, but, uh, 
I guess I've been trained to do every job in police work there is. Uh, you, you know, you could talk about basic or advanced uh, criminal uh, activity and investigation uh, from a simple, something as simple as, as uh, investigating a car being broken into to complex uh, homicides. And I've, I've done it all. And I've been trained to do it all. And um, it is, uh, it's just kind of hard to talk about because folks, when people hear you speaking of your, uh, of your career and you begin to tell about, you know, how well that you are trained, um, people kind of take it wrong. But I'm about as uh, trained as a police officer can be. Um, in 1993, I, was a deputy sheriff at a local sheriff's department here in Tennessee. And I had been with the department since 1986. And I was a patrol deputy for Robertson County Sheriff's Office, uh, located at 507, uh, at that time at 500 Willow Street, and then later on at 507 South Brown Street in Springfield, Tennessee. And uh, I served with the department from 1986 until 2012, 2013, when I had a accident on a 911 call and was injured and I could not return back to work, I'd, I'd uh, suffered some injuries to my legs and I had to retire. But in 1993, I was a uh, deputy sheriff and was working the midnight shifts at that time. And uh, myself and a co-worker had decided to take a trip and do a primitive uh uh, camp out and do some turkey hunting into land between the lakes on the Tennessee side. And uh, so we planned for weeks and uh, the gentleman's name that, that I have protected his identity. And unfortunately, my, my hunting partner has passed away now. But uh, Harry was a gentleman that I worked with for many years and is a man whom I respected and high, they had the highest respect for. And on duty, we were... Uh, uh, folks would talk about us that we basically were unmatched. We, uh, the reason why I tell you this and you'll understand as my story goes, we were not afraid of anything and we tackled anything that, uh, come before us in law enforcement. And with two of us, uh, we never had any issues. Uh, with two of us together, we could tackle any type of situation you can imagine in police work. So in 1993, I want to say about uh, March, we began getting geared up uh, and planning and and getting ready to go into a primitive camp out. And uh, the last of April, we decided to go in. We had the type permits that we needed for the state of Tennessee to do turkey hunting. And we located several different food plots in the area that we knew that would be pr- productive for turkeys. And uh, we went in on a Friday, and we found us a really nice campsite, and it was out uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, some folks that have never been into land between the lakes, it's it's hard to understand, but for this part of Tennessee, this is like the Yellowstone or, or some national park. It's 177,000 acres of just sheer wilderness there's nothing in between no uh very few buildings and they would be of of government use for different reasons and uh there's nothing on the property except trees and uh, rivers and 
waterways and such. And uh, so we found us a nice spot on the Kentucky and Tennessee line, and we settled in for the night. And uh, the first night we came in, um, there was really nothing uh, to speak of. It was a really good night. It was quiet. Now, our camp was set up to where that when I speak of how desolate or how remote this place was, um, there's no cars, there's no traffic, uh, you see no electrical light. If you're close enough to the river or to one side of the lakes, uh, you might hear an occasional boat, and that is it. So we get our campsite going, and uh, we're cooking, and, and uh, just getting ready to settle in for the night, and uh, just about as laid back and relaxed of a time as you could have for camping. And um, we went to sleep, and I remember getting awakened, and this might be important that it might may come up later, but the only thing that happened to us is we had a, a, a mature raccoon come into our camp and was nosing around and woke us up, but uh, and that was it. So we wake up Saturday morning, it's uh, raining a little bit, and we decided to uh, remain in camp and... Uh, just hang out until the rain stopped. Uh, we both at some point, when it eased up on the rain, we had decided to go our separate ways, and uh, Harry went one direction, and I went in another direction, and uh, I was a very confident hunter. I'd been raised in the woods all my life since I was a child, and um, um, my navigation skill was uh, fairly good, and I knew where I was going. So I trekked out on my own and went through the wood wooded area that would have led from the Tennessee and Kentucky line towards the trace road, and we were several miles off of the trace. And um, uh, I'm walking through the woods, and everything is normal. I've got uh, the different types of insects that are, are making noise and I'm seeing some signs of uh, when I first start out on my uh, on my hiking. I'm seeing some signs of turkey. I'm seeing some signs of of wildlife. And uh, but the further I go along, uh, I recount and go back now that I recall halfway through my hike, um, I began to notice that there was absolutely no sign of uh, any wildlife. And which I felt was a very odd thing uh, for the area that I was in. But I continued through my hike and I had set up uh, a couple places and did some locator calls for uh, uh, shocking a male uh, turkey, a gobbler. And uh, uh, at one point I did get some responses and feels and I just continued through my day. This went on for hours and I walked for miles. I was a young man in those days and uh, was in fairly good shape. Um, so really nothing out of the place, uh, nothing took, uh, uh, anything that would stand out for me and, um, just, I was enjoying my, my time. And as the hours went by, I got further and further away from our camp. And, uh, again, being a very, uh, uh, confident person, it didn't, it didn't frighten me to be that far away. I look back now, and it, uh, it may have been a mistake to be so far away from my camp. Um, so 
sometime in the late afternoon, I got tired and I took a break and I decided to come out of the woods and I came upon a, a very old logging road that uh, was didn't look like it had anything on the road for a long time. And I was sitting there and taking a break and drinking some water and eating some uh, some deer jerky that I had brought with us on the trip when I heard a motor noise. And it, I thought how odd that it was for a vehicle to be that far back. And uh, I saw a small Nissan pickup truck coming toward me with a single occupant inside the, the, the truck. It was just an older truck, and I could tell immediately they was dressed in camo, and I knew I knew it was a hunter. And the guy pulled up close to me and got out, and I stood up to greet the gentleman. And uh, it was a man roughly my same my same age, maybe a little bit younger than I. And we just hit it off real good, and uh, we both were kidding with each other. And and uh, after we talked a few minutes, you know, hunter hunter camaraderie. And uh, the gentleman told me, uh, said, hey, I'm Bubba. And I said, I'm Bubba, too. And I said, this ain't going to work, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was a real funny thing, you know. Just, down down here in the south, you know, everybody's Bubba. And uh, so we talked for a little while, and we kidded and cut it up with each other. And I, I, I remember so about him making fun of my uh, shotgun. And, and he wanted to know how long I had been, uh, you know, hunting turkeys with with a a gun and why why didn't i give them more of an opportunity or more of a chance and i said well dude how do you hunt and uh, he brought out a compound bow and he said this is how i hunt turkeys and i laughed at the concept i mean i had heard of it but uh, i had never seen anyone that actually had at that time this was this is 1993 i did not know anyone that was hunting turkeys with a compound bow mm. And he was, turns out his skill level was very high and he, he showed me how he could hit, hit with his thing and he was very good. And, uh, so we, we talked and it, I really don't know how long that, uh, he and I talked, but we spent some good time together and, uh, it started getting later and later in the afternoon. I knew I needed to get back and he wanted to go back to his camp and the individual told me, he said, Hey, you know, uh. Uh, you ought to come over to my camp. And he kind of basically told me where he was along the trace, and which is only a little over a mile from the location where we were, but he was right there close to the Kentucky, Tennessee side. I find out later that he actually was from the state of Kentucky. But uh, before we left, we uh, exchanged pleasantries, and it turned out that, you know, uh, the rivalry of he was a fireman, had my had my name, and that I was a uh, Bubba from Tennessee, and I was a police officer. And you'll never meet, but the majority of policemen will tell you, say, I man, I always wanted to be a fireman. And a fireman will always say to you, I always wanted to be a cop, you know. So it was just a funny, funny afternoon. And uh, anyway, we exchanged pleasantries, shook hands, and was saying goodbye. And as I started to walk off from him, um, he told me, he said, say, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say anything, but, uh, I just wanted to warn you, you might keep your heads up, uh, in the late evenings or at nighttime. He said, this has been something circling my camp at night, but it stays outside the fire light zone. In other words, it would stay far enough 
from where the lighted area was from his camp that he couldn't see what it was. And I said, I asked him, I said, well, what is it? And he said, I don't know. He said, I'm, I'm here by myself, but I'm not really frightened or anything. I do have a firearm in the truck, but I just thought I'd give you a heads up. And um, so it was real casual, very casual and very laid back. And okay. at the time, I I should have paid more attention to that. But again, uh, very just I don't want to use the word uh, that, that comes to my mind, but I was just very too overconfident as a young man and as a young hunter mm. that that overconfidence level that you have. Sure. And uh, so I just shrugged it off, and we said our goodbyes, and he drove off, and I went my separate way. And uh, to be honest, I didn't even give it a, a a thought whatsoever at the moment. And even on my way back, when I began to notice some things, I still didn't give it any credence. And um, we're walking back, and uh, I'm just kicked back, walking through the woods. I've done give up. It's starting to get almost dark. And as I'm uh, walking through the woods, the first thing that I noticed is just for an evening in land between the lakes, you're going to hear the frogs and you're going to begin to hear the night insects and the crickets and different things. And I heard nothing. And I say it again, again, just never gave it any thought. And I'm so confident and I'm headed back to my camp and. I just am not paying attention. I'll be honest with you. I'm just not paying attention. And uh, the further that I walked, I began to hear some noises that uh, I have no idea why I didn't pay attention, but I began to hear noises. And uh, the first thing that happened was that I heard a extremely strange noise in the woods. Now, I'm miles away from any buildings i'm miles away from any other vehicles where this gentleman had pulled up and spoke to me was the end of the road it did end right there into the woods Hmm. and i had watched him drive away so i knew that he was not anywhere in the area so the first noise i heard was an extremely loud metallic noise that sounded as if it was a heavy metal door scraping the floor and and closing, and it 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 soon as the noise happened, it disappeared. But it was remarkable that I look back now that it should have told me that there was something wrong right then and there. So it becomes death, even death or quiet. And right after I heard this noise, I continue walking, and I'm looking around, I'm shifting, I'm looking left and right, and I'm looking up in the air to see if this, you know, possibility of an airplane or something had flown over me. I didn't see anything, and it was death quiet. And as I'm walking, this is when I began to see something out of my peripheral vision over to the parallel to the right of me, there is a ridge in the woods. And this is when I began to see movement. And you have to take into account this is in the spring and we have all the trees and the foliage and you have the brambles and the bushes and all this. So out of my vision, I'm seeing only movement. 
And it could be at one point I noticed between two, 250 yards. And I noticed that there was something running in the woods beside of me, but kept its distance from me. And the more I walk, the more that I'm beginning to really pay attention and to, to watch. And uh, I did catch a glimpse at one point, and I was convinced at some point that I had a pack of coyotes that was after me. And this is not unheard of in Land Between the Lakes. You can see as many as 20 to 25 coyotes uh, in the woods at any time, and this is when they come out. So let me ask you about this before we go further. Um, So at this point, you're convinced that it's a pack of coyotes. Does, does that mean that you believe you're seeing multiple? It's not just one creature yes. stalking you? Yes. I'm seeing two or three, um, I guess the word would be apparitions or, or just images running through the woods. And, uh, you know, and as I said, with you know, it's un, not unheard of to have a whole pack of coyotes. So I still don't have any guard up. I, I'm, you know, I know that. There's coyotes all over, and in 93, we were not, uh, the general public didn't realize either that there's supposed to be wolves in Lamb Between the Lakes where they had reintroduced the uh, red wolf, and they've kept it uh, totally off uh, from the general public. So I've got coyotes coming up or something moving, and I am still don't have my guard up. Then I begin to hear whistles loud shrill whistles i've got a shrill whistle in front of me which could be two to three hundred yards in front of me and then i heard a shrill whistle that is behind me and is some distance away but i cannot see anything i can't see anybody so at some point my mind is thinking that okay coyotes or do i have a hunter in the woods with me and these are his hunting dogs. Now, mm. we're in spring turkey season, but it's not unheard of to have uh, uh, coon hunters that are training their dogs or coon hunters that are out in the field. And uh, so, again, I'm just chucking right along and, and no fear, no fear, no thought. Um, at some point is when I heard what the word that I've used is uh, – one of my grandfather's words called clampered that it was just a noise that somebody clampered something and uh it almost sounded as if it was a rock striking a rock and the thought in my mind like okay that that could be my hunting companion that has made it back to camp and he's using an axe uh maybe cutting on some wood or hitting the tree or something and the whistles could actually be the fact that it could be that uh, uh, that he's whistling for me. So I wrote all these things. Just I just wrote it off. And uh, so I continued to walk. Now, you know, when I began my story, I told you I'd walk for miles, in which I have. And I have been back, and I know, I know the distance now that I actually have walked. But I had walked for miles, so I'm going back, and I'm slow-paced, and again, it's getting pretty dark. But now I've got movement coming in on my right side again, and they've never stopped. But the thing that come to my mind, and I noticed that if they're coyotes, 
or even uh, a hunter's dogs, why haven't they moved in on me and got closer to sniff me out or, or to discover what I am? And so it just hit me. Just all of a sudden, it hit me. And so I'm walking a brisk pace at this point, and I just froze. And when I stopped, these animals stopped. They did not continue. And I knew at that point that something was wrong here. Coyotes are not going to freeze. They're going to continue to go on. And believe me, I've hunted lots of coyotes in my lifetime, so I knew this was abnormal behavior. And uh, so I would walk a little bit and, again, just immediately freeze in my tracks. So would these animals. Whatever this was that was running in the woods and keeping a distance away from me, I began to realize that these animals were stalking me and that the fact that the animals were smart and intelligent enough that they would walk when I walked, yet stop when I stopped. That's when I began to get worried, and uh, I jacked around into my shotgun. Uh, typically, when I walk, and when I'm walking in the woods or walking in the field, my, my weapon, I keep a breech open. But I got frightened enough that I put a, uh, a round into the chamber. And so at some point, I've got the animals moving. I've got the weird noises that I've heard. And I began to see some light where the sun is coming down, and it's real late, and I'm facing the west half of LBL heading towards my my camp. And this is when I see something moving in front of me. And I see a very large shape next to a couple of oak trees. And the oak trees are huge, and that's how I would gauge what I'm seeing in my eyes. And I'm seeing a very large person that is on two legs, and I felt that it was a hunter. And um, I'm looking, and because of what I did for a living, I've used ghillie suits many times. And that's what, in my mind, I'm seeing a hunter in a ghillie suit that is up in front of me. And then so everything's starting to make sense now to me that uh, this hunter is calling his dogs and he's in a ghillie suit and uh, he probably doesn't like me being in his area. And uh, so I just wrote everything off. So I'm looking ahead of me and these animals are still moving beside of me as I walk when I hear the metallic noise once more so i've got whistles i've got something being hit struck against something rock on rock or rock on tree and then i hear the second strong metallic noise and at the same time that i'm looking and i'm trying to watch where the coyotes are or whatever these things are this noise takes my full attention but i still am trying to focus at the hunter ahead of me and he just disappears out of my view. And I'm thinking, how did this guy just duck away from me? Did he duck behind the tree, or what did he do? So, yes, by this point, I'm, I'm very nervous, but I, I don't know what to think. And all these equations are going through my mind. But I know now that I'm losing all my sight from, from the light going away. 
and I do have something in the woods with me, and this is very strange. So I hump it back to camp pretty pretty fast, and I'm keeping a, br- a very brisk pace at this point. As I get closer back to camp, I'm beginning to smell uh, wood smoke, and I know that I'm in the general area. And uh, I come off the ridge, and I come down a path that I've been following that would lead straight to our camp. And it is right beside of a creek, and the creek runs right directly behind our camp. And uh, so I cross the little creek, and I get over, and the closer that I get, I can actually see that the fire has started, and I see the movement of my hunting partner, and Harry has already made it back to camp. And uh, I holler at him, let him know that it is me coming into the camp. And the closer that I walk and I come into the camp, uh, I can visually see that, that Harry is pacing back and forth. And I holler at him and tell him that something to the effect that, hey, man, I'm sorry I've been gone so long. And uh, I felt, you know, from what I've seen, the facial expression, I felt that he was, honestly, I felt like he might be upset with me. And uh, he looked at me and said, no, it's it's not you. I was worried about you being gone so long. But he said, I've had some issues, some problems in the camp while you were gone. So I got closer, and we we stood, and we talked, and uh, I set my stuff down, and we began to talk. And uh, I don't talk a lot about Harry because uh, he's not here to to accurate, ac- accurately to tell his, his story. But what Harry passes on to me is that during his, his midday hunt, that while he's out in a field, he hunted a corn patch, which is distal to our camp. And as he's in the camp, uh, he walks out and he finds him a good spot. He gets set up into the cornfield. And as he's in the cornfield, he's having objects being thrown at him. Now, you have to understand that that Harry was a good-sized man, and it takes a lot to shake him. And uh, he wasn't frightened. But he's hearing some of the same noises that I've heard, and he lets me know that he believes he's got a hunter that was harassing him, and he heard the whistles, and he heard, at one point, he heard the metallic sound and didn't know what to think that that was. But one of the things that that he brought up to me was that he's in the middle of a cornfield, and he's completely (coughs) away from any type of noise and there's no way that what what he describes to me could be could could he have witnessed or seen, but he had a half-eaten corn cob with corn on it go whizzing past his head. Now, what he described to me and and what shook him up was that this this a old rotten corn stock. Uh, corn thing with with some corn on it uh doesn't weigh anything for the uh for it to be thrown at such a far distance from inside of a woods and go whizzing past his head he felt like that it really took a strong man to have done that and he just he just could not understand he was perplexed by that and uh he said but looking back that it had to have been a hunter and that we had upset a hunter. And uh, he felt like that, uh, hey, I'm here. I'm going to hunt. 
doesn't matter. There's plenty of room for other hunters to come in and hunt. He wasn't going anywhere. Let me ask you a question about this. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, you brought up the idea of a hunter. He brought up an idea of a hunter. Mm-hmm. What's the culture here in Tennessee when it comes to this stuff? I mean, uh, it, it, I mean, th- back when this happened in 93, you said? Yes. Yes. Uh, I imagine Tennessee has changed a lot since then. Uh, but it's still way more rural than what I came from in Pennsylvania. So when, when there is a hunter out there, uh, in, in, from your vantage point and from his vantage point, uh, and it, you probably at this time is, is thinking it's two separate people doing this. Yes. Uh, what, what, are, what were you thinking? Like, were you thinking that this is, uh, some guy that lives out here and, and we're on his territory and he, he's going to try doing his harm? Are you thinking, um, come get some, what, what was the, what was the idea? Because you're thinking Hunter, uh, are you thinking I'm gonna have to defend myself against this guy because you know these these backwood hillbillies they they're crazy or whatever like what what, what was going through your head? This all, everything you said went through my head. Is this are we going to have to uh, uh, have some type of a of a showdown with uh, uh, locals that that hunted this area or maybe it was their what I call their their honey hole that they mm-hmm. had protected because it was a good turkey hunting area. And then even at one point, we'd even thought that maybe we had run across a moonshine still. Mm, yeah. And uh, that, that ran across our mind, too. But uh, the one thing that, you know, the majority of hunters, the majority are very polite and caring and nice people. However, when you run, you know, if if uh, three of them are nice and and the fourth one is, is, is a bad one, they're usually pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And for, for the person to be throwing stuff at my partner, um, this was probably a bad guy. And we had that in our mind. But we still, it just, none of this would add up as to what takes place. And uh, yeah. But the, the main thing we had going on in our mind is we had a hunter that was trying to, to run us out of his area. And... Uh, Harry wasn't going anywhere, and I certainly didn't want to go anywhere because we had a pretty nice campsite. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yes, that's what was going through our mind is we was going to have to deal with some some local guy that was overzealous. I mean, you hear the stories all the time of where uh, a hunter gets mad at the other hunter and takes a shot at him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that Dick was Cheney. mine. Yes. Uh, yeah, Dick Cheney. Yeah, Dick Cheney. It doesn't do well to go hunting with Dick. No. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. He'll make and, you uh, apologize to him. Yes. yes. And, and then you have to apologize for getting shot. Yeah. That's good. That's a good one. Oh, I don't man. think that will ever, that story will ever be forgotten in yeah. America. At least the and, people uh, that my age and older. Yes. Yes. And, and I won't let them forget either. No. Yeah. We got to keep that one circulating. Yes. And uh, so we we had all these things, you know, all these things going through our mind. And uh, so we're 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 up at our campsite and we're having a good time. And uh, you know, it's time to you know we two growing old fellers and we it's starting to get time to eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got the camp going. We've got some camp stew and we're looking forward to eating. And we're discussing. And I do at some point begin to tell him that you know I run across a guy in a ghillie suit. And so we're discussing all these things as, as two hunters would do. And, um, but you know, we, we're, we're, we're too overgrown, overconfident. And, you know, the, I just have to tell you, man, 
uh, being police officers, we, yeah, is just nonchalant. Ain't nobody going to run us off. And, uh, the, the guy I was with, it's like, ain't nobody going to run this man off, you know? And I was with him and they got to beat him first before they get to me. Cause I know my partner and yeah. it's kind of that kind of idea. But one thing led to another. And as we we're in camp, it's, uh, by now it's just total black darkness. And to understand, uh, you just can't hardly see that if you walk away from the fire and I had a tiny, uh, kerosene lamp going and it was just an old fashioned, uh, 1960s old little bitty, uh, red kerosene lamp. So it's dark, man. It is real dark. And, uh, I had grown up going to Lamb Between the Lakes with my uh, family and grandparents and we fished and hunted. And so darkness wasn't anything to be afraid of. Soon the worm would turn, as they say. And, uh, we began to, as we settled in and was getting ready to eat, we began to have some objects. We had a rock wall behind us that uh, we had chosen this area, and uh, boy, what a mistake that was. But we had chosen the area because it was a solid rock wall behind us, and we felt like that would give us protection from the weather or from any type of critters that might come out. And uh, so we had some objects come in on us. And uh, at first, it started out extremely uh, light, like a little bitty six, eight-inch twig come off the top. And, you know, raccoons, possums, anything could be walking on the ridge above us and just didn't give it no thought. And uh, the first thing that come off that, off that ridge that really scared me was a pretty good-sized tree. And it was probably about six to eight foot long. And it just... It, it failed, and we wrote it off. We wrote it off thinking that it had failed off of it. We're standing, and we're talking, and we're looking at each other, and we're starting to add up, and we are slow country boys. We're starting to add up that we're being harassed, and that's all there is to it. And uh, as we're talking, I noticed something to the right of our camp. I'm standing looking at the wall. Uh, the wall would be west, and behind me would be east. And uh, no, I got that wrong. North, south, east, and west. So to the east of our camp, we had several huge uh, oak trees. And um, I saw something. And what I saw fully convinced me that there was a individual standing behind that tree smoking a cigarette because I saw a small red what I perceived to be a glow and I had seen people many times in my work where when someone is smoking a cigarette and they're trying to either cup it in their hand or they're trying to hide behind a tree and smoke a cigarette that at this point, I really felt like that, okay, the hunter or hunters are coming in on us and they're watching us and probably getting ready for us to go to sleep. And uh, one thing led to another and Harry sees it. I see it. And Harry says, man, there's somebody standing over behind that tree. And at some point, my alpha male kicked in and, and I realized, you know, I'm I'm a hundred miles from my jurisdiction, but the training kicks in and says, Hey, 
sheriff's department, we are armed, and uh, you don't come into a, a, a man's camp like this at, at this time of the night. And I demanded the person to expose himself or come out and talk to us, and I got no response. There was nothing. And it, se- it seemed like that the it was time was speeding up, and, and it, things would soon escalate from that. At some point, we both saw what would lead us to believe two men behind the tree because now I've got two red glowing objects, and that oak tree was a massive oak, and um, on each side of it is a glowing object. It never occurred to me at that, at that single time what I was seeing was someone, an animal, peeking out from both sides of that tree and in fact, would be two, and it was the glow of eyes. It just did not register to me at that given time. That's when we heard something on the ridge above us. So I've got something to the uh, east of my camp. I've got something north of my camp on the ridge, and the noises are beginning to get louder. But above us, we have a rock that got hurled, and we could actually hear the rock, an object coming towards us. It comes off the top of the, the ridge, and it, it, it comes down, it lands closer to, to my friend, but it, it just hits, and it thumps right in front of us, and it is a massive rock. Uh, I've estimated a 30 to a 50-pound rock, and that's Jeez. when I— uh, I just did. Yes, I meant by, by this time, that is scary. Yeah, that is just it just blew me away. And I'm like, honestly, it's like they're trying to kill us. And whoever's doing it is incredibly strong to yes. launch something like that, to launch something of that thing. I mean, it's bigger, bigger than a basketball and, and it, it hits and it hurls, it hits. And, and when it hits the ground, you felt it. Mm. It was just a big thug. I look at Harry, he looks at me, and he had, by this point, he, he's screaming, you know, what, you know, what the heck? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, again, we're men, so we're not, we're not using our manners, and we're, we're screaming, we're, we're saying a few choice words. That, and this is the part when it gets really hard for me to talk about, but that, that is when that we had a noise come in by those oak trees. That was just, it, it was, Tony, it was hideous and it was a growl and it was a growl and it was so intense that it rattled the inside of my, my chest cavity and it, it, it just was just, it was hideous, man. I mean, I've been on the farm, you know, all my life and I've seen all different kinds of farm animals. I've hunted bear, I've hunted deer, I've, I've seen all kinds of different things. This was not a typical growl. Uh, I've heard bear growls. Uh, that's not what this was. And it was so intense that it, it did something to me, and I could tell that it was affecting my friend. And it rattled the inside of my body, and I began to notice that it caused my heart to speed up. And it was pumping and just, I was getting really excited, but it was an uncomfortable feeling that I cannot describe. 
but it was like it affected my breathing rate. It was affecting how my heart, and I began to feel uh, nauseous. I began to feel uh, very sick to my stomach, and it became more intense. And then it was almost like I couldn't hear the growl, but I could still feel it inside of me. And it got terrifying. It was terrifying. That's when I felt like I was frozen, that I could not move. I could not move my legs. I couldn't turn around. I could see Harry beside of me, and he was in the same shape. And as a matter of fact, I noticed, and it must have been me as well, But when I looked at my friend, I could tell that he was slumped in his shoulders and was kind of looking straight down. And so all this is going on, and I could still hear objects and things around me. But if you've ever had what, I guess what you call tunnel vision, and that's what I felt like, like I had tunnel vision. Things were sped up around me, but yet I was in slow-mo. I was just in slow motion and could not do anything. That's when I heard something come in on the trail beside of us, the same trail that I had used to walk in from my, from my walk beside the creek, and the creek come up behind our camp. Well, there was something coming. I could hear the steps. I could, to be honest, I felt something coming. It was a feeling that, that I cannot describe, and it felt like, hey, something is coming. And in the fire glow of the camp and in the lantern, which was uh, adjacent to us, I could see movement. And I, I felt something, and I kept looking, and I look, I'm looking, and I'm catching something walking in, and it is bipedal. And I guess the thoughts of, is this beast, is this man? I don't know what that it is. And as it begins to get closer, I see a bipedal canid type uh, wolf-like beast. Two legs. And it's walking towards me. I can't move. I can't use my legs. I can't use my arms. This intense feeling, I'm, I'm almost can't breathe. It has sped my, my rate of breathing up like I had run a race. And this thing's getting closer to me. And as it gets closer to me, I notice the ears on it are erect and they're, they're like pointed towards me. And it's staying outside the glow of the fire, but it's getting closer and backing away, coming back, going back and forth. And it's pacing left and right. And then it walks in. And as it walks in, I can see this thing sniffing the air. And it's almost as if it's almost as if it's sniffing me. And I look back now, I wonder if it was trying to sniff fear. And then it grins at me. This thing exposes its teeth. And by this point, it comes in close enough within 15 to 25 yards, and it exposes itself. And I'm seeing something that should not exist. This thing does not exist on this earth. And is it a man in a costume? Is, it, is this a hoax being played? Is it a joke? All these things going through my mind. 
but you got to also understand what is affecting my body. There's something uh, not right with my body. Can't move, can't do anything, and this thing's getting closer. The only thing I could think of, the only thing I could think of at the time was my religious upbringing. And I'm thinking, whatever this is, it's going to take me out. It's going to eat me or kill me. And I began to pray, and I began to pray, and I pray. I prayed the shepherd's prayer, David's prayer, the Psalm twenty-third, and I began to pray. And when I began to pray, I just felt like I was regaining my mind back. But I could see this thing, and it was not moving closer. Now I'm praying in my mind. I'm not praying verbally yet. But this thing staring at me. I'm staring at it. And I'm saying the prayer, and then I began to verbally pray. And I, you know, I began to pray hard and louder and louder. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not fear. And by God's grace, I felt stronger. The intensity was still there, but I'm like, if it eats me, it eats me or whatever. But I'm beginning to gain what I felt at the time. I began to feel strength, and I began to feel stronger. And I felt, I don't know if it was my hands or my leg that moved first, but I moved. I no longer was like a child that was so afraid to get out of its bed to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I felt stronger. And at some point, my senses come to me, and I moved. And when I moved, my training kicked in, and I retrieved my firearm with my right hand. And I had on my possession, it actually was my department-issued weapon at the time, and I pulled my firearm, and I pointed it at this creature. And when I did, the creature moved backwards. This beast, this this demon, whatever I was seeing that should not exist, it moved. And that told me that this animal was intelligent. It was something to the animal. It moved backwards. And I'm standing there, and I've got the firearm. You have to understand that we are trained, and we know, and I mean in a millisecond, in a millisecond, you've got to make decisions. When you let off a round and it leaves the end of your weapon, you've got to know where that where that round is going to. You've got to know what your target is. You've got to know, is that a man? Is it an animal? And I was real hesitant to pull that trigger. I, I still could not, I just couldn't fathom that this was anything but a man because it looked so much like a man. And I couldn't pull the trigger, and I lowered my gun. And when I lowered my gun, this creature advanced on me. The beast come closer and started walking towards me, and I felt, I felt at that point, it's a given. It's paid for. It's still approaching me. I'm trained to protect myself. I've got someone behind me I've got to take care of, too. All these things are going through my mind. Everything I've described to you has taken me three minutes, five minutes, 
This is what a policeman has to make up his mind in milliseconds. I fired twice. I raised my firearm and I discharged two rounds, uh, tack tack, almost sound like one. At the same time, I shoot simultaneously, whether if it was a sympathetic reaction or what. The man behind me, Harry, discharges his double barrel shotgun. So I fired two rounds, he fired two rounds, but when I fire my two rounds, poof. The creature that was in front of me, I don't know where it went. I heard noises going up the wall, but I didn't see it. It was almost as if this thing just dissipated. Yet I heard noises going up the wall. I, to this day, I don't know what happened and where it went to. But behind me, when my partner discharges his shotgun and he fires two times, I hear a squall. I hear a scream. So behind me, I've turned around at this point. I'm still trying to cover from that angle. I'm hearing something above us again. I'm hearing the the screams or squall of something that sounds like a cross between a pig and some hideous animal. We've got a solid cane break that is behind these trees that runs along the creek. And I'm seeing the cane just, there's something going crazy in the cane. I also hear my partner running. (laughs) At this point, he snatched up some stuff that was in the camp and he's left me. See you, Martin. See you, Bubba. I'm (laughs) leaving you. And, And so Bubba is gone, man. Bubba. He's left Martin, man. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know what to think or do. And it's comical looking back now, but I'm frightened out of my wits in. The only thing I think of is, hey, if he's leaving, I need to go with him. And so I've still got my firearm in my hand. And uh, you have to understand, I'm 32 years of age at that time. So I'm running with my firearm. I say I remember, but honestly, I don't. I don't know how I cleared the bumper on the on the pickup truck, but I was into the back of the pickup truck uh, immediately. Gun's still out. Gun in my holster, I don't know, but I felt like I still had my firearm, my, my handgun, and I get in the back end of this pickup truck, and I hear Harry uh, hit the ignition, and it, he, he cranks up this old big Dodge truck. It's very loud. And he cranks it up, and he's trying to get her going. And, and in fact, he's rocking back and forth. And I'm, I've got my hand, and I'm beating on the top of the roof of this thing. Uh, hurry up, hurry up, saying all kinds of things. And then it hits me that it's emergency brake. And I tell him to pop the brake. And he pops the brake. And at the same time, as he starts to move, he cuts his headlamps on. He cuts his headlamps on, and then the realization as to what is taking place. Uh, got creature over here that come in on my backside that came in off the creek and followed me in. That, that is a wolf, werewolf, human-looking thing. We got stuff over here in a tree and a cane that possibly has been shot. I got something up on top of the ridge, and then the headlights come on. And when the headlights come on, it's bright enough that 100 to 150 yards out in the middle of this corn patch, 
where Harry, in fact, had been hunting that day. Here's the man in the ghillie suit. But it's not a ghillie suit. And it's not one. There's two creatures. And these things are hideous. And when I tell the story, I don't normally tell the entire story because most people don't want to hear everything. But when I say that these things are not what you depict on TV and it's, there is, it, it's not the Patty of California and the Gimlin film, these things were hideous. The headlights hit them. The biggest one is standing on two legs. The second one that was beside it, the creature, and I can't tell if they, if they were male or female, but the smaller Bigfoot hairy man jumps down on all four. It just sinks to a crawl. Hold on a second. Bigfoot? Oh yeah, there's it's totally I'm and I'm sorry, I'm I'm pretty worked up by this point telling the story. No, it's fine. I, the, these so, are not these are not when I describe the other in detail and I and I let you know this is a wolf like creature, mm-hmm. uh, a beast or a half man, half something. When the headlights turn on, I've got an eight foot uh hairy man, what I call a hairy man or a Bigfoot, sure. that are not canid Canid lupus, werewolf, anything like you've ever seen or is drawn as a dog man. These are Bigfoot. Wow. But, but they are not Bigfoot, man. They are not pretty Bigfoot like you see Patty waving at you as she walks away. These things are hideous, ugly looking. The tallest, the biggest one is staring straight at me and I'm seeing teeth and I'm, I'm, whether if I'm imagining the look on the face or if it's what I saw, it was not friendly. And I got the feeling that this thing that was staring at me, I felt like there was such sheer hatred and I could feel what this thing was looking at me. He didn't want, he didn't want to share his lunch. He He wasn't there to get a banana. Whatever this creature was, was sheer hatred. And the one that had ducked down to the ground, the only description that I can give you is if the one on the ground was either frightened or younger because of the headlights coming on and it was a younger one that was frightened, or if he was going to an attack phase because he went down on all fours. At some point that I'm sitting and looking at this and, and, and I don't, I, I never talk about this part because this is a part that is pretty private for me, but Scott Carpenter goes into something and, and, and others have too, that they speak of mind speak, but I, I got, I got some type of a message that I, that I felt and that I read just as clear as my mind as if I watched the newspaper this time at some point, my partner has put it in bark and has thrown the truck in gear and has turned the headlights away from these two hairy beasts that's out in the corn patch. I got all this stuff that is, if you can just imagine, uh, cumulatively, all of it together. He decides it's time to, to, to make a, a mass tactical retreat, and it's, he's got the car going, the truck going. And we're, we're going out through this field. And if we could see this place, uh, the description of 
you needed the tiger tank to come out of there. But we were in old four-wheel drive, and as he's getting out, I'm looking for these two creatures in the corn patch. I'm looking for whatever is raising cane in the cane patch. I'm looking to see if something's going to fly. I mean, just grow sprout wings and come off that ridge. And I'm still looking for this other cat that was over on the other side of the fire. I'm terrified, man. I am terrified. And as he leaves, he bumps into something and I hear him screaming. I later find out from him that he's screaming, I got one. I got one. I'm looking towards the camp and whatever these things are, are going through our camp. And they are tearing that camp to bloody pieces. I see parts of the tent, the canvas, and the tarp that was on it is just being ripped to pieces. I've got the fire glowing, and I'm seeing the same thing that went up the ridge, the same thing that was in front of me. I'm seeing a canine creature that is standing on two legs, half man, half wolf, half something. And it's ripping our camp apart. I got the stuff in the cane patch and the cane that is beside of us. It's running alongside of the truck. That's what's focusing my attention when he hits something. He hits something that goes down the right side passenger side of this pickup truck. And I hear it, but I just, it's not, I got too much going on. It's not registering that this thing's trying to get in the truck or in the back end with me. So he hits the creek bottoms out comes up and we tear out of the camp and we start heading for the trace some point mile a little bit further i've been beating and banging on top of the truck my friend is was an excellent pursuit driver at at, at work uh, he was well noted so he was a good driver but he was by this point he's just lost control and he's driving too fast, scary, and I'm beating on top of the roof, stop and let me in. I wanted inside that truck, and I wanted to ride with him. Somewhere at some point, he does let me in, and he is tearing out of land between the lakes, and he is heading towards the south check station towards Dover, Tennessee. I finally get him calmed down enough to where that I'm telling him, head and stop at the ranger station. And Harry's arguing with me, and we're having a confrontation like we've never had before. He's not stopping at any ranger station. He's going home. He's not going to report this. He's not going to talk about it. And we're going back and forth, and we're probably a good 20 to 30 minutes away from the ranger station, which is the south end of it. And at some point, I just tell him, and I demand that he's going to the ranger station because this is what we do. We need to report this. I've discharged my firearm. He's discharged his weapon. We've had some kind of beast come into our camp, and uh, the rangers need to know about it. I'm just, I'm just locked in. We got to tell somebody. There was nobody at the station. We get to the ranger station. There was an old 1990s two-door, the Jeep that they used to run. It's in the parking lot. The lights are dim. And as typical, there's no one there after dark at that time. And I still don't think they manned the, the south check, uh, the south or the north in the late evening at night. It's typical. So 
I get back in the truck after we stop. I look around. I look inside the building, get back in the truck. He's even more bound, and he's just determined that we're not telling nobody. We're getting the heck out of Dodge. At some point, again, I make strong demands. We're not leaving. We will come back in the morning. He reluctantly, very reluctantly, agrees, and finally, we travel back to the area where this has actually taken place, but we remain on the trace, and we get within a few miles of this heading towards the north station, and we find a field off the side of the road where we think we can see for a long distance if anything is coming and going. And we park for the night and we pull way off the road on top of a hill. And uh, Harry's shook. I'm shook. We're both sick. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, it's not a good thing to, to talk about, you know, on, on film or anything like that. And I address a little bit of it in the book. But we have used, we've used the bathroom on ourselves. Uh, Harry has done both one and two, and I have urinated on myself and probably come close to doing number two. But we're wet. We're dirty. Uh, Harry has thrown up a couple times uh, during the night, and we're just, we're filthy, man, and we're, we're all so hungry, and we, we sit there in that field all night long. Harry stretches out across the, the bed of the truck on the inside. Uh, I'm in the bed. He's in the front of it, and I just get on top of the, the top of the truck, and I sit on the truck the rest of the night, and, I mean, I'm on guard duty. I do not sleep. Harry's on the inside of the truck with the windows rolled up and the doors locked. He finally stretches out and gets some sleep. All through the night, I'm not able to rest. There's no activity. There's nothing on the trace. I can see the main highway. And I'm watching, hoping to see if if uh, either a marked patrol unit, ranger unit goes by or anybody. But there's nothing. It's dead. So at some point, light comes, and uh, we both get up, and we decide to uh, clean ourselves up some. And that's what we did. We cleaned up. And I give him a pretty stern talking to about, you know, we've got to go and report this. And so two or three hours go by. It's probably nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we're standing outside the truck. When we look down, we're on the passenger side of the truck. And on the passenger side of the pickup truck, we have three heavy marks with a fourth mark coming down the side of the truck. And comes down the side of the truck, and you can see where it stops at the bumper, where it hung the bumper. And either it clamped onto the side of the truck, or he hit it, and it forced that. I don't know what caused it, but he had three distinct claw marks that came down the truck with a fourth light one. And uh, we looked at that, and we both we both were very shaken. Uh, and so we got ourselves together, and we get inside the truck. And that's when we head to the ranger station. And uh, we're a few miles from the station, but we get there within a very few short minutes. And to our shock and surprise, when we get closer to the ranger station, it is a flurry and a world of activity. 
And it's still early in the morning. It's nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, man. There's no way that there should be that many visitors. There's no way that it's going to have that much activity. I mean, you, you, you're in what most people look at. You're in Jellystone Park and, uh, people have come in there, use the bathroom or to get a map or buy a t-shirt. But this place, the parking lot's full. Both sides of the road is full on, uh, the north and the south side lanes. They're both pulled. There's vehicles parked on both sides of the road, and the parking lot is full. And uh, we look at each other, and we're kind of discussing, and we're figuring out that this can't be good. There's something. There's something that's taking place. And the closer that we get to the ranger station, and I convince him to pull in, there's two, possibly three news uh, uh, vans and the bigger trucks and they've got their little telescopes up, and this is 1990s where you had the big satellite thing. Mm-hmm. And these vehicles are parked all around in the parking lot. And there's what I know from being in law enforcement: there's news reporters everywhere, like something has taken place. And uh, there's marked and unmarked vehicles all over the place. And there's even a vehicle sitting in the parking place that I look and I realize that that is some type of canine, not canine officer, but like a search and rescue or rescue squad with a truck cargo on on the back for dogs. And there are dogs in this thing. And there's a lot of officers that are standing beside the building and all this, that, and the other. So there's just give you a general idea of what we ran into. Harry doesn't want to walk in, so I elect myself spokesperson and I walk in. And uh, I finally get someone's attention. Uh, there's, again, a flurry of activity on the inside of this place. And I said, hey, we had an incident in our camp last night. And I said, we had some type of uh, uh, creature or, or something, somebody dressed up to come in on our camp. And the guy freaks. The You could tell he's the ranger guy in charge. And he tells me to be quiet and takes me off to the side and says, we'll talk somewhere else. And uh, the people are looking at me, and uh, there was some folks behind the counter, and you could tell they're staring me down too. Like, what this guy see? And but this guy didn't want to hear it. He did not want me, and he certainly didn't want me talk about it in the foyer where people could hear. And uh, so this went on for a few minutes. That he gets me off to the side, and he he says, uh, uh, "So what happened?" And I said, uh, "Listen, man, I'm I'm uh, active duty." patrol unit i'm uh, off duty out of robertson county i said my partner's outside and i began to give him the description of everything and break it down and he said well we've had some bear activity and i'm sure that that's probably what come in on you but you know you guys are not supposed to be hunting bears and i mean he's just laying this story out on me that you guys have possibly killed shot and killed a bear out of season you don't have tags all this kind of stuff and I'm looking at him, I'm listening to him, you know, I feel like that, that he's talking to me like I'm an idiot. Yeah. And, uh, so this goes on a few minutes and I finally had enough. I said, Hey man, this, this is not what is taking place. And I said, we had some type of a, an animal that I, that's not supposed to exist that has come in on us and all these things. So he ends up taking my ID and he's got it separated. My partner's outside 
and there's another ranger outside talking to him, getting a story from him. Then, as I'm standing there talking to this cat, my partner, Harry, takes, and he takes the other guy out to the truck. And at this point, I'm only having to, I can only imagine what is being said between them. And so Harry decides he's going to say, hey, you don't believe me. Come out here and look at our truck. You know, something foobarred our truck. And so they're looking at the truck and the guy's shaking his head and pointing and they're going back and forth. The other guy I'm talking to, he has another officer stay with me and he's taking our credentials. He wants to see firearms and all this kind of stuff. And he walks over the truck. He goes in and he calls my immediate supervisor and gets a hold of, he actually gets a hold of our sheriff. And at that time, uh, the sheriff talked with him. I find out later when I get back and they get into a pretty good shouting match. And he tells the guy, said, Hey man, these are two, his words and what was told to me, this is two of our finest deputies over there. And if they say something happened and what they said happened, then you need to listen to them. And uh, the guy threatens that he's going to actually arrest me, especially me, because I've, I've talked back to him, to be honest with you. And he's going to arrest me for poaching and uh, being in possession of a, a, of a handgun, not supposed to be in the park. And uh, so I later find out and discover that the uh, fight ensues between my boss, my sheriff, and this guy. And... He, the sheriff tells him, hey, they're supposed to be armed seven days a week anywhere within the state of Tennessee. And if you'll look at their back of their uh, identification, that's exactly what it says. So they basically agree to disagree that they'll have to fight over that later, that, that even as a police officer, that we didn't have the right to have handguns, which he probably was right on a federal scale. But uh, so that's how the story basically ends at that point. He, at some point, he gets very upset and gets mad at me, and uh, we escalate quite a bit, and uh, he takes a break and walks, walks away from me. Now, there's a point in time where I've had enough myself, but I do look up, and I actually see some friendly faces, and uh, what I tell people is this, is at one point, I was a very noted individual in, in this state. And the reason being is not only because of what I did for a living, but because I was a uh, uh, an elected officer for the state fraternal order police, and so I knew police officers from all over the state, from Memphis to Knoxville to uh, all points, the southern, northern points in the state of Tennessee, and I actually knew a state trooper that was standing there, and I went over and began to talk with the state trooper, and I noticed that one of the canine officers that was on search and rescue was, in fact, a local sheriff's department, but he also worked for search and rescue. And what they told me, the basic story is that there was two turkey hunters that was walking through a camp early in the morning, and they had discovered a man that had been pulled out of his tent and had been predated on, had been killed. And they came back and reported the incident, and that's why there was such a flurry of people and what had taken place. So sometime as soon as the sun come up, two turkey hunters actually walked across this cat that was hunting and was in the in the tent and had been predated on and had been killed, eaten alive. And so they began to tell me the story, and by this time, man, 
to be straight with you, I'm seeing red. I've done been talked to like I was stupid and been fed the line of stuff. My partner comes back and what he is told. Now, this is the part that would enrage anybody. Harry was told that there had been an armed robbery in one of the camps, in one of the, not just camps, but inside of a campground itself, and that someone had been hurt, and that this had nothing to do with us, that we were just basically uh, two city folks that had come out there and maybe had seen a bear or got too overly excited, and we were seeing stuff. Man, this all this together, and you add all these things together. Uh, Tony, I was not a happy camper or happy man. Finally, the head guy in charge walks over to me, and we have some more words. And I finally said something to him that, look, I'm tired of the BS. Uh, I'm tired of the bovine scatology that you're feeding me. I said, I've hunted bear. I've hunted all around several states. Uh, in the United States, and uh, at some point, I tell this cat, you know, that I'm fed up with his stuff, and so he gives me my credentials back, my identification, driver's license, department stuff, and uh, he basically tells me to leave the park, and that he's, I'm a very lucky person that they didn't arrest both of us for hunting bear out of season, which I might add to you, Tony, there was no bear season in the state of Tennessee for this part of the state. At any given time, the bears were not even supposed to exist in land between the lakes in 1993 to the general public. And uh, I made a statement to him. A couple things were said back and forth, and I told him I'd be happy to leave his company. And uh, that's where the story ends as far as us leaving land between the lakes that day. There is further story, though, that, that takes place when we get back. And that is uh, <clears throat> the your supervisor had some stories about i guess bigfoot right my sheriff actually the day that we had actually come back and i and i'd be straight with you i didn't even want to go into the office but i'd got a call early that monday morning that i needed to report to the sheriff's office and speak with the sheriff and uh, he wanted to run down after it was all said and done and he had told me everything that had taken place between he and the the uh lbl folks uh he he had been a state trooper before he was a sheriff, and he had been down into, uh, he'd hunted all over. He was an avid bear hunter and deer hunter, uh, but when he was younger and before he became sheriff, that he and another state trooper friend of his that he graduated, graduated with through the Tennessee Academy uh, had been out on a weekend and had been hunting and had actually had observed a Bigfoot that had crouched down and was drinking water in one of the river systems. And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember exactly where they were, but I think it was some Jamestown or or possibly was, uh, on the other side of uh, Catoosa somewhere. I don't know. But uh, he basically said that because of what they had seen, they had done what the normal person would do, and that was tell nobody. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is because they were fresh state troopers, and if they come back telling the story – that they had been out in the woods hunting and they had seen a Bigfoot in the state of Tennessee, that they'd probably end up losing their jobs. So he didn't tell anybody. But the uh, the sheriff was a very good guy, and he was a, he was just a super duper. He was a he was a police officer's or a deputy's best friend, and uh, 
to be honest with you, uh, I had hunted uh, bear and deer all over, and I continued a, a good relationship until he passed away. The sheriff was was a very fine individual. Yeah. Okay, today's sponsor is Simply Safe. And this is the first time we're talking about Simply Safe in 2023. And it's still as good as it was in 2021 when we brought them on as a sponsor. We're really glad to have them because they are the easiest and most simple way to improve the security of your home. And you're not going to sacrifice quality with the ease of use. You can install this yourself, whether you are an IT professional or some dork that used to drive truck for a living like me. It doesn't matter. You can install this because it's super easy. You just stick the sensors wherever you want them in your house. You can also have cameras set up anywhere you want in the house and on the outside of the house. We have cameras on the outside of our house. I can't tell you how many times it's come in handy to be able to see into the backyard what's going on back there. And we get actual notifications on the phone through the app that we have on our phone. So anytime there's movement in the backyard or on our front porch or in our driveway, we are notified on our phone and we can tune in and actually see the recorded video that caused the movement, or we can go right to jump to live view and see what's happening in the moment. We can actually talk to whoever's in the driveway. So say somebody comes down your driveway for delivery and they need a signature, you might be able to just coax them into dropping it off at the garage door if you're not home by being able to talk to them through the camera and say, hey, listen, I'm here. Just scribble a mark down on there, man. It's going to be just fine. I'm telling you, just drop it there. And he's like, all right, no problem. He scribbles it. We all break the rules sometimes and you can do that with Simply Safe. How about that? All right, friends, listen, you can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash confessionals. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com slash confessionals. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Well, uh, this story is um, crazy. It, it, it is. It's, it's something that just, uh, it's hard to even like uh, wrap your mind around at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, you, I remember you talking about uh, in the book how when he hit the lights, the two creatures in front, I just, I, I glossed over the part where the, the Bigfoot part is I, I, in my head, I was thinking dog, man, it's just, it all blend together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of that? I mean, like, I, we don't need to get into like your theories and stuff like that sure. right now. Um, but pertaining to your encounter, do you think that Bigfoot and dog man were in the same area together? Or do you think they just happened to be in the same area? Did they have, they both had the same mission that night, but the dog man got there first. I was convinced of a lot of things. And uh, looking back then, but looking back uh, as to that night and my thoughts on it, and then I'm going to flash forward. And I had a, an individual ask me one time, a person that I respect greatly, and I'll never, I will never forget this question because it really made me think. And when, when they shot the movie American Werewolves and I was talking with Seth Breedlove, 
uh, Mr. Seth asked me, he said, can can you give me any explanation as to is there is there an explanation to what you saw? And I thought that was a very good question because I have none. I have no idea what I saw, and especially that night, I had no explanation. Flash forward, and I come out of the closet, and I tell my story for various reasons. And I think about what he asked me about why was Bigfoot there and what had taken place. What were the Bigfoot in conjunction with the dogman or I even had one individual ask me, and I was convinced at one point maybe Bigfoot was there or the hairy man was there to protect me. Now, sitting here in front of you, it is my thought that the two Bigfoot, because of when we discuss and we think about the encounter and how it began on the uh uh, the deer or the animal trail that I was following, the noises that took place, the whistles, and the fact that whatever I saw in the woods stopped as I walked and stopped, and then it would stop as well. Logically, I think that it was almost as if the Bigfoot commanded the animals. And at first, I, I would have never said that. But when I look back now, and we come forward with what I have learned. One of the greatest things that scares me even worse than the encounter of Joe Doyle, Hell Ben Holler, was the first one to bring this to my attention. He said, You need to watch Hunted 411. And you need to look at David Pilatus's movie where he describes a man by the name of Tom Messick, who was an avid hunter, an avid outdoorsman, and had been hunting all of his life. When he went out with his sons and his hunting partner, a neighbor that had been friends for years, and they go out into the deep woods, and they go on a hunting deer drive. And Mr. Messick had been in those woods many, many times. When it got time to end the camp, and to stop the hunt that night and everybody meet up, he wasn't found. They went looking for him. They could not find the man. But the one distinct thing that came out of this was that some of the party heard this metallic, this metal sound in the middle of the woods, and they had never heard nothing like it. And I remember the interview so, so very well that they asked one of the individuals, what did you hear? And he actually became agitated because he couldn't describe what, it, you know, I, I heard something. I heard something. And it finally came out that it was a, a, a metal or a metallic door, like, like a door opening and closing. That's when I become even more frightened than the encounter itself because I knew, in my opinion, that I had, I don't want to compare it to the loss of a man at all because Mr. Messick and his family deserve answers. They deserve answers. But I look at it that I survived. I don't know why I survived. I don't know if it's because I had the fight syndrome in me or what it was, but the same noise that I feel like that they heard, I not only heard once, but I heard it twice. 
and I know it's a long answer to to what we're speaking about, but I, I, I don't know. It was almost as if these Bigfoot were in command or, or was in charge of whatever was taking place. Mm. Well, uh, I love the fact that you said that <laughs> because yes, uh, it really, so I don't look at these topics like I did six years ago mm-hmm. and I have, I, I've been talking about it a lot recently. I was just telling my wife yesterday, we were talking about you coming into town and I told, I told her, I said, does it seem like we're getting more dog man stories coming in? She's like, we're getting tons more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it's probably because Expedition Dog Man's out and people see yes. it and all that stuff. Um, but my my thoughts on, on these creatures uh, is very multi-layered. You're not going to get me saying it's one specific thing over another. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get me saying, no, I don't believe that happens. You're not going to get me saying that I believe that you know only one thing happens. This is very layered for me, and it's because of all the stories that I've been told, but there's one specific story that I've been talking about more and more recently, and I'm starting a, a whole new podcast based off of this story. And um, part of it is the guy who, this, this story is about his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he knows who I am now, and uh, he said that he's willing to talk to me, but uh, it has to be done right timing for his family's safety. Yes. Um, but one thing that he says is that these things come from other realms. Yes. And he said that Bigfoot, and this is according to him and what he, whether it's his belief from his interaction with the other realm or his knowledge or whatever, but this is what he says. He said that Bigfoot is another form of lichen which is a werewolf. Yes. Yes. And he, he says that and, and, and that in itself is such a, like, I can almost guarantee you there's somebody that's like, come on, as they heard oh, me yes. say that, you know? Yes. Um, but that's what he says. And I can tell everybody, everything that he says has lined up so far. His, his claims uh, there have been multiple people that have been able to back up what he's claiming that have seen him do certain things that shouldn't be possible. This guy is much more than just your average human being. And um, so when he says that, I listen, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when you say that you had Bigfoot and Dogman on the scene mm-hmm. and you have this sense that the Bigfoot was orchestrating or or I, I, I get this vision in my head of almost like Bigfoot and Dogman uh, are there and the Bigfoot just let the Dogman off the leash and it's like, go. Exactly. Exactly how I feel. Is that how you feel? I felt like that that the metallic noise was almost as if um, you have to, yeah, you, you okay, you have to consider my path of being a hunter, fisherman, and mentality, there's nothing in the woods. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in this stuff. Uh, Patty lived in in uh, California and Washington, and that's where all Bigfoot were. Nothing over here on this this side. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't even think about Bigfoot. Sure, it just wasn't in my state of mind. And now we flash forward to I sit in front of you, 
And I say, I think that the metallic noises opened a door, what that door was, whether it was a portal to another dimension, another place, another world. But it was like, it's simple this. I used to hunt when I was a child, and I had a man that lived uh, across from us take me bird hunting. And we would let the dogs out of the trunk of the car, and I said trunk of the car. And they would come up out of the old car we drove. The hunter released his hounds, and we go bird hunting. Uh, I make the same parable to Bigfoot shows up, opens the portal, opens the door. He gets out, and there are two of them. Because if you remember my story, I get whistles behind me. I get whistles in front of me as if I have two hunters that have released their hounds on me. Why I was not attacked at that point, I don't know if it was because I've even had people tell me that it was due to my religious statue, that it was because something within me, for whatever reason, I wasn't. Well, I'll just tell you, one person has told me that, that because of uh, my strong faith is, is the only thing that kept me from being a victim. I don't know. Mm. But I do know that I, I agree with you that I think that it was the two hunters, Bigfoot, and those were their bird dogs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, maybe through their own interactions or from what they've gathered through these different types of stories, they draw the conclusion that Bigfoot and Dogman do not get along. I'm sure you've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because maybe the the perception is just off. Maybe the perception is off. Maybe in the chaos of a moment, because the only way you could draw a conclusion, I would imagine that Bigfoot and Dogman don't get along is that you see the interaction. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the outside of a relationship and you and you have no idea um, what a human being is, say it's aliens, right? Aliens landed on our front lawn and they see you yelling at your dog to come inside the house. Mm-hmm. And the dog's not listening or whatever. You would get frustrated with your dog. Come on, you freaking mutt. Let's go, you know? In the house. Right. And so if you're not familiar with the relationship, maybe it could look like they don't get along. Mm -hmm. But maybe we have it really twisted and maybe there is an actual order to it. Mm -hmm. And that would be... absolutely groundbreaking as far as I would think. Yes. Um, And, and then with what I've been told and what I've been looking into, it would make a lot of sense because of if they're both forms of lichen, maybe they just have different roles. Mm -hmm. Um, Also uh, the, the metallic sound. I'm so like, I'm actually really glad you brought up the word portal and not me because mm-hmm. I always bring up portals because I, I like like I think that portals are, have a big big role as to why the world is really weird. Yes, and there's yes. there's really things going on in other realms. They do access our realms and uh, and w- we access those realms realms too scientifically, but also there are people in this world that can do these things. Mm-hmm. And and I and I have access to somebody right now that um, has experience opening portals mm-hmm. uh, for these types of people. And so I want to ask them about this because 
and it's not necessarily the absolute 100% answer, whatever I get from them, but mm-hmm. uh, I want to I ask if there's a sound associated with portals opening and closing. Because yes. what you were yes. saying is sounding like a, a metal door opening and the other person saying that, mm-hmm. you, the thing that, that really kind of uh, stood out and popped in my head was uh, when I first started podcasting, this was really popular and it's not so popular anymore, but what I, one thing I've learned over the last six years of me doing this stuff Everything is in cycles. I get people sending me videos of things that have been out for two, three years. Mm-hmm. It was really popular two, three years ago, and they, 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 it comes back around. And people are like, "Did you around. see this?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's like three years old." Mm-hmm. But people, you know, it makes its rounds. So I, I totally expect this topic to start getting popular again at some point. Yes, the sky trumpets. Yes. Yeah. So people claiming that they they hear trumpets in the sky, and I think they say trumpets because they don't know how else to describe it, but if you think about the sounds that you hear on those YouTube videos of people saying, where is that sound coming from? It mm-hmm. sounds like a big piece of metal scraping the ground, like a, like a, like a, like the, the, the cement ground or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that how you would describe the metallic sound? It was, it, yes, it was like a metal door scraping concrete or, or scraping a hard fixed it wouldn't have been just ground. It was almost like it was scraping concrete mm. um, or rock or well, not concrete. Let's say rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things, two things before they, they pass this old guy's brain. Bigfoot, dogman. Uh, the thoughts and, and, and guys, please, you guys forgive me because I love you to death, but I've got friends on both sides of the aisle. I've got the apist yeah, that yeah. just know that this thing is another form of life being yeah. that is next to humanoid. Sure. You know, and it, it is not. But the biggest thing I want to make certain, and, and, and I am living proof right here sitting in front of you, that there is no state line on land between the lakes that dog men, because I've heard this and you have heard mm-hmm. it too, dog men do not reside in the north of the park or the south of the park. Bigfoot doesn't have control on one end or the other, and there's this little fancy line down through there, and, and there's someone, a policeman, that says, Bigfoot, you stay over here, <laughs> and dog men, you stay over here. And that's a That's segregation, fight. guys. That's <laughs> segregation in its finest form. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But this is a huge fight that we will hear. Yeah. Uh, investigators, paranormal or cryptid investigators that say, oh, yeah, yeah, th- this guy's crazy. There's no Bigfoot in that side of the park or mm-hmm. there's no dogmen. And, and that was one of the things. The second thing is, is, is definitely, I, I want, I want you to remember this that, because I don't think you've said you've seen it, but something has just occurred that I feel that is very important, very important. And it is hell been holler have just been to an undisclosed area where they're not wanting, they, they don't come out and tell you where they're at, and for good reason. But they've just had an encounter where I believe, after watching their show, I believe they were privy that they saw, it, the, the, the name of the show is Hell Ben Holler, The Burning Light. And I believe that Joe and Jesse saw a portal and saw it open and they actually saw the images of someone coming mm-hmm. in or coming out. And it was such a encounter 
that they made the correct decision not to approach the portal or this light that they saw, and they decided to back out and leave and come back later, which I think was a very good, wise decision. I don't know what they would have encountered that night, but they, they actually, in my opinion, they saw a portal open. They saw the creatures walking about in front of the light of this, where they had come in or come out. I don't know which. But those are two things that when you were speaking, uh, yeah, I, I'm 100% on board. And and uh, uh, as far as, uh, again, my apologies to all my friends on both sides of the aisle, uh, I am inclined to believe after the more that I have taken from the first time I stepped out of the, the, the dark and come out with my story, because I wanted to, my, my agenda is to save lives. I know something's wrong in the parks. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one. You can see anything to do with uh, uh, the greatest man I respect is David Politis. We have all these people missing in the parks. But where I'm going with this is there is something taking place, and it is occurring, and it's quite evident to us that the portals must, in my opinion, exist. Because there's no way of how did Bigfoot get here? How did Dogman get seen? And are they one in the same? Mm-hmm. Are they one in the same? Because of the different descriptions we get, are they all likened? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, guys. I just don't bite into this is some type of a, a humanoid, uh, another step on the chain animal that's... Uh, out in the woods been hidden from us we would have done found it yeah you know uh and i i i i lean towards that myself um now i i would say that i'm trying to pull this up here because what you just said and uh now my thing is acting all weird so i'm going to just go to my phone but um it's one of those things where the this this community of whatever you call this. I don't even like calling it a community because there's so mm-hmm. much bickering and arguing. Yes. Um, but this group of people that are into these types of topics. Yes. Uh, there's been this, this set way of thinking about things for so long and you get these fractions of people who are the old school type that's just like, Dogman doesn't exist. Bigfoot does exist though, but it's only a creature we can't keep up with. And then from there, you have this evolution of people to the point where you have me, this crazy guy that has a podcast that's like, oh yeah, Dogman's real, Bigfoot's real, flying creatures, there's portals, they go in and out and so do people. And uh-huh. you know, pretty, pretty, pretty much everything you think is impossible is possible. Like they're, they're like, you know, all the old school guys are like, you're crazy, dude. Like you're absolutely crazy. And that's fine. Um, but even during our conversation here, while you were telling your story, I got a uh, a message on Facebook, and it, it just it caught my it caught my eye. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the guest that I had put out today, now today's show I put out was uh, Dogman's Interdimensional Portals, mm-hmm. and um, it's another guy here in Tennessee, and he uh, he had a dream about a dogman, mm-hmm. and and uh, in the dream. His family's there. This dog man moves towards his family. And so he steps in between the dog man and his family. This thing starts tearing him apart. He comes to sitting straight up in his bed. He sees that he has scratches on his back, handprints on his shoulder. Wow. And, um, and you know, he, he, 
really doesn't think much of it. I mean, in, in, in all reality, that that could be you did it to yourself in your sleep, freaking out. Right, it, right. it's very possible. Um, but, and this happened this year in April, um, here in Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, probably around the area you're from. Mm-hmm. I think he's South Middle, but um, he's out in the woods walking with his son, eleven years old, and he sees that thing that he saw in his dream standing right before him and his son. He said it was, it was what he saw terrifying, in the Terrifying, terrifying. Yeah. And so his son sees it, he sees it, and it's actually his son that snapped him out of his thing. Like his son's like, we got to go, you know? Um, and they got out, but this thing like almost like escorted him out. And I told him on the mm-hmm. recording, I was like, they could have got you if it wanted to get you. Yes. It didn't want to get you or else it would have got you. So or it makes you wonder. Both of you, yes. Yeah, it makes you wonder. He would have taken you then. But um, his son saw it, he saw it. And, um, we talked about this because how is it possible that you had a dream about something that then appears in this reality? Now I have a lot of answers and thoughts towards that, that I have to keep at bay for, for now, just because of what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, we did discuss this on the show and it's, I think I'm very, I'm getting to the point where I, I can say I'm very certain I'm okay being wrong with things, guys. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, like I'm telling you, but I'm also telling the audience, like, and I've said this over the years, I'm literally okay being wrong with things. I've sure. never seen a dog, man. I've never seen a Bigfoot. I just accumulate information. I draw assumptions and my opinions on things. Mm-hmm. If I'm proven wrong, that's fine. But I, from what I have been told, what I'm experiencing, what I'm talking to other people about, and people's stories are intertwining with each other, is that I'm ta- the more I talk to these different types of people, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that our minds have the ability to be a bridge between different realms. Yes. And I believe that I, I don't know how it happened for him, but somehow, cause he described this, what he calls quote unquote, a dream where it felt it was more real than what this real is. And that is a very common description amongst the people that I've been talking to. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like you're accessing this this realm through a dream state that the dream state itself isn't the beginning and end. It's just the bridge to get to where you're going. Yes. And this thing somehow came through the bridge as well when he left that. Because mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was much longer until he saw that thing. Um, and there's so much that goes into it. Like there's things that he and I talked about off air. I can't air. Sure, certainly. And, I and, understand. And I'm just like, Holy cow! Like, like, like he really, I he's really on he's really on to some of his experience. Um, so I, I say all, I say all that because the guy who messaged me on Facebook and caught my eye with how it popped up on my screen, he was he said, um, "Let me just pull it up here. Uh, let me give it a, a shout out here." But Patrick Lloyd, um, give him a proper shout out. The guy, um, he said, if Dogman can cause harm in someone's dream, wouldn't you lean towards it being demonic? And I just told him, not all of them. And I know that's not a satisfactory, and he, he messaged me back. I haven't read it yet, but I know that's probably not a satisfactory answer for many people, including him. Uh, but I don't think that all these things come from this other realm either. I think that maybe some of them, their lineage is from these other realms, but I also think that yeah. we are creating these things. Mm-hmm. I know that we're creating these things. Yes. Yes, and um, there's also a a um, occultic ritual aspect of it. There's people who will do occultic rituals 
and they will uh, like the skinwalker type thing. Yes. But they'll, they'll put the skin of a, a wolf on, they'll do the ritual and they're trying to transform into a werewolf. But here's the thing, like whether you believe that's possible or not, well, what if, what if they're not transforming into a werewolf, but the people who come across them during the ritual fall under the spell and what they see is a werewolf. Yes. Yes. Which is really scary because imagine if that is what was happening to you and then you wind up shooting a, pe- a person. Right. Try explaining that to the, the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a werewolf. Well, he's not now and you're going to jail. And you're going to jail, man. You're <laughs> locked up, man. Yes. What do you do? Explain Sleep with your sister or what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Explain that to a grand jury. Yes. Good luck. Yes. And so like, like we're dealing with some really crazy things. That's one thing that I'm very, very uh, nervous about with this stuff mm-hmm. is that when I was in Kentucky and we were going on the expedition dog, man, we were thinking about this stuff mm-hmm. and I was like, dude, that would be the worst ever if we're out here and we're convinced we're seeing this monstrous beast. Yes. And in the back of our head, we're like, what if it's not though? And we're just under a spell. Do we shoot or not? And then it's like, you make that decision. Yeah. Like, do you shoot? Do you not? Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was thinking like, hmm, if something happens and we got to shoot and that thing, that, that thing turns into a man, uh-huh. we're going to find a nice deep hole to put it in. <laughs> have, have shovel. Yeah, like, have shovel. We'll travel. Yeah. yeah yes. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to go to jail guys. Yeah. I got a podcast on Tuesday, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But uh, I I, kind of went off a little bit there, but it it, it really was really interesting how you brought up the topic of the portal aspect Mm -hmm. and this relationship between the two creatures and how they may not be so different. And Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because I don't think there's been a whole lot of people, if any, on my show that's brought that relationship up. I could kind of bite my tongue a lot on that stuff. Uh, and it, it, it takes, it's it's hard to come forth with something like that. For me, it's not as much as, uh, timing. So Mm -hmm. I can go on and just say everything that I think and what everything I know, but if it doesn't fit the conversation, it's not going to make as much sense. Right. And, uh, and so I, I, I try to bite my tongue a lot of stuff just to wait for the right person to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we could both get that out today because not only we, we both know what this topic is and we know what has taken place. But it's hard to bring it forward, especially a witness. Uh, I have grown as much as like a toddler growing into a full-size human being uh, in the last five years uh, concerning the topic. So it's easy for me to come out because I'm to the point where it doesn't bother me what somebody thinks of me. I know like uh, – the great, and I call her angel, uh, Miss Linda Godfrey. Mm-hmm. I know what I saw. Yeah. And I'll never forget that when, when she had said that, I know what I saw. And so when we're able to actually have a platform to speak of, uh, I think I saw a portal. Uh, I do believe portals exist. Uh, uh, all of the above. Yeah. And it, actually... This was a subject I actually wasn't going to bring up, and I don't know if you have the time. We have plenty of time. But something has occurred, and uh, I was not going to address this because this is in my second book. But uh, I'm going to be careful how I bring this forth, but something has occurred. Uh, 
uh, all this led me to a quest. It, it, from 1993, I, I did not remain totally obscured. I, I stopped hunting in the LBL, but I continued to hunt in other places. But Vision Quest, I have never stopped investigating. I didn't go on air. I didn't go out and and make myself known to the general public, but I'm the guy sitting in a uh, a pair of overhauls, uh, drinking a, a Coke and eating peanuts down at the old grocery store, whether if it's down in Grand Rivers or if it was the old Crutcher's grocery store that was on the uh, main trace that was there for all the hunters for, for years upon years that would go down and sit and talk about it. And I'm listening, and I'm not uh, breaking the confidence of anybody. I'm just taking in all this information. So from 1993 until this point, today as we're sitting, I have investigated silently, not ever seeking any recognition or wanting people to know what I was doing. Half the time, people telling me stuff didn't even know who or what I was. Mm -hmm. But something has actually occurred. But all this stuff led me to, to, I'm almost completed a second book now. But something took place on October the 19th. Now, um, several folks that I trust and that I have uh, confided with or, or I actually have been in the woods with, and uh, one is a, a great gentleman uh, who is a author of many books, uh, Dewey Edwards. And Dewey Edwards is from my hometown of Robertson County, and he's written many books, and he's been into the park with me many times. And uh, we have discovered a lot of things in the last, especially in the last six months. Hmm. Another individual that I have taken into the park, uh, um, I'm not certain if he would want me to say his name right now, but the two of us were in the park on October the 19th and of this fall. And we did after, and I keep a running toll and I keep, I keep a a, kind of a, a diary per se, but after 57 uh, investigations or uh, expeditions into the park. Myself and another individual ended on the uh, entered the park on October the nineteenth, and on our fifty eighth expedition of the park, we actually saw something. And all I'm going to say right now, because it will be in the book, and I'm not trying to lead somebody into buying a book. I'm just they trying to don't. say it, it. I'm trying to say is. Um, we saw something that cannot be explained in the same exact general area because I know that where this took place in 1993, this is a hot spot. This is a hot zone. Mm-hmm. And there is something that is taking place in this general area of the, the devil's backbone uh, on the Kentucky, where it leads up to the Kentucky-Tennessee side. And I know what I saw. And what I saw, I believe, was a portal opening and a uh, creature stepping out that was nothing like I'd ever seen. And the individual that was with me, uh, I'm going to say his name, and I don't think he'd be upset, but Daryl Denton, who was a friend of mine from my county, uh, he had been a local mayor uh, in in the town, one of the cities inside my county. And Daryl was with me, and he saw it first in a crouched, spider position and 
Wait, the creature, whatever it was? The creature was in a, a oh spider-style position beside uh -huh. the road. Now, this is the same general area, but it was translucent. Oh, man. And he he screamed at me. He said, do you see it? And I'm trying to actually be straight with you. I'm trying to ignore what I'm seeing. My mind is not registering what I'm seeing. And we saw a creature and something took place that that – He's told on a podcast that that I didn't really uh, I didn't want to release it because I didn't want the general public to know what had taken place, but something occurred that night and that cannot be explained, and there's no logical way that this occurred other than a portal opened, it came out ran across the road behind us, and it was translucent. It was like you could see through it. And this thing was monstrous size. Now, he described it. He said the head was as big as his passenger side door windshield, the door window. And you can imagine that. We was in a four-wheel drive truck. I drive big trucks. And uh, the window was this big. And I, and I can't say exactly what size this, just, just the head. But it was beach ball. I mean, this thing was huge. And it crosses the road behind us. Now, what I'm going to depict to you is it was almost like it was an accidental. I wasn't, we were not supposed to be there. We were not supposed to see it. And it just right place, right time, wrong time for the, for whatever we saw, but the right time for us. Mm. But the 58th expedition. I'm not in there saying I'm seeing Bigfoot every time or I'm seeing a creature or I'm seeing Dogman 58 times since August of last year that we've been into the park. 58 times. 58 times that I have wow. went to an expedition. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, and then we've got that occurred on October the 19th and I wasn't going to release it. He, he released it because he wanted, he just, he, I know, I understand the gentleman. It was such a significant thing, but I wasn't going to, honestly, I wasn't even going to bring it out. He brought it out. So here it is. Here's what we saw. And I could go in greater detail, but in another podcast, he talks about how sick that I become and what happened to me when, when we saw this creature. Wow. Okay. And, uh, so it, 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 uh, there was something that, that took place and I'll, I'll actually tell you off camera. I won't tell you on camera. So, but, uh, it did something, uh, it did something that night. First, first of all, let me tell you something. We haven't been on camera for about 40 minutes. This camera died over here. Okay. So, okay. Uh, we have about an hour and 20 minutes of you on camera. And then I think the SD card filled up because I grabbed the wrong one. So, okay. uh, I'll just switch it to audio when we hit that point for the video okay. segments. But, um, when you publish it in the book, are you going to go into greater detail? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very caught, uh, I'm very torn because it's going to be so insane that I don't, I don't know if anyone will even believe it. I'll believe but, it. I'll tell you right now. I'll believe it. <laughs> it, 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 it makes me, you know, here, this, here's this guy that has already seen something yeah. in land between the lakes. And, uh, but, but in, 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 in defense of this, you have to understand 58 expeditions into the park. And I've been given witness accounts that led me back into the park to a certain area where we have discovered and have taken uh, uh, 
detailed photographs and measured things that we know we have something in the park and it's leaving these prints that cannot be made man-made and all these areas. And then on the 58th expedition, we lo and behold in the same area within a mile of my 1993 experience, we have something crouched down beside the road hidden from us. And to be straight with you, it was as if it didn't think we could see it because it was in this uh, predator, yeah. translucent yeah. state yeah. Yeah. that that I wasn't supposed to see it. I'm going to send you some shows that you need to listen to of mine. Um, I have uh, I've talked about him over the, over the time now, mm-hmm. but he's a great reference story. Uh, Jr. from episode 309. He was a one percent biker guy. Uh, mm-hmm. As a former officer, you know how serious the one percenter guys are. Yeah, they're the real thing. They're the real ones. Yes. Um, I'm not going to say what gang he was in because he's very protective of that. But uh, he was one. He was. Let's put it this way. I always describe him as this. Jr. was so bad, the one percent biker gang kicked him out. They, they, so he started his own group and kicked so, him out. Yeah, they're like, dude, yeah. you you crossed the line. What? <laughs> you know, he was bad of the bad. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And I've met with him. I've been to his home. Uh, he's become a good friend of mine. Um, Good guy to have in my corner, actually. Yes, yes, uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, I, but um, he, long story short, was running from the law and he was on a property for nine months in Indiana. Mm-hmm. While he was on that property, he would spend time finding uh, arrowheads and then he would take them into a town where uh, he would sell them to a guy for 20, 25 cents or something like that. I don't remember. But he was just making some money, you know? Mm-hmm. And during the time of that, that uh, nine month stay twice, the last time it scared him so bad that he called the police or no, he called his mom to come get him. And she said the police were at the house three times that week. He said, I don't care. I'm not staying out here another day. Come get me. He chose to spend 18 months in prison before spending another night on this property. He wasn't going to stay there any longer. He saw a very large translucent figure wow. standing there. And he said when this thing took off, because he said it was like it, they realized that he could see it. And he said, when it took oh, off, well, you got hair standing up because where you're describing this. Yes. When Go it ahead. took, when it took off, he said it took off and all you saw was this tall grass just split and just, yes. and, um, and, uh, there, the, 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 uh, the way you described the spider, uh, is really, really interesting just because, um, my friend, my good friend, one of my best friends, Wes Germer from Sasquatch Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the first people to talk about his encounter with a Bigfoot and how this thing dropped to all four. And the only thing he could say is it was like a spider crawl. It was like a spider. It looked like a spider. That's the only way I could describe it. He said it was unnatural, it. but he said that's, yeah. it's like. Nothing bends its arms or its or its legs like, like that, you know. Right. But yet we saw it. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's what him and his brother ran into in Washington state, they, they, like a, a, a group of these things one night oh, and it, it tormented him for like three out, three hours. I think it was, uh-huh. um, but he always talked, he talked about that and I, I, people get, I wasn't around at that time when he was talking about the stuff and I was coaching college basketball or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and people apparently gave him a really hard time. Bigfoot doesn't do that. And that's why I. I'm the kind of person I'm like, tell me what you saw. I'm not going to tell you it's not possible because mm-hmm. I'm learning more and more. You're not going to catch me off guard saying it's not possible because I don't know what's possible mm-hmm. anymore. Um, 
And then I would say I was interviewing another person, uh, this one woman, halfway through the recording, she got her sister-in-law on the phone with me because her sister-in-law was picking, I guess, mushrooms or something like that about 30 miles away from where Wes had his encounter. And she's like, I don't know what I saw. She with the, like refused to call it a Bigfoot. Uh, she didn't know what it was, but she's like, it was really big. She said it was on all four walking up the hill. It, if I remember correctly, she said it turned its head and looked back at her. And it was like almost like the head turned all the way around. Oh my God. And yes. she said it walked like a spider. Yes. And that was like 30 miles from Wes's encounter. And wow. so like these are characteristics that are popping up. And so now you're talking about uh, the spider characteristics, yes. the translucent characteristic. And when you, before you even said that, when you were telling your encounter, I even wrote down here um, that uh, about the Bigfoot, mm -hmm. I said Bigfoot got on all four because I wanted to bring up, tell me what it looked like. Did it look like the spider type or was it, or is, when, it, when, the, when you saw the Bigfoot get down on all four, you said it was like the younger one or whatever. Um, did, it, did it get on all four almost like a canine or did it have that spider look too? It had the spider look. When it, when it dropped down, when the headlamps came on to the truck uh, and it shined, the bigger one, it was, it was like it was not frightened anyway. And it was absolutely mad, very angered. But the second one that I believe in my eyes was younger. It dropped down to all fours into like a spider crawl as if it could just, uh, my description would be as if it could launch itself, that it could just spring up at any second. And what we saw uh, on October the 19th, same thing, except this was much bigger. And uh, when you said something about the head, the way that it turned, that is the part when I when I looked at you and just grabbed the table in front and said, wow, this thing on, on the 19th that we saw, when it turned its head and looked toward me, it was as if it just, the whole top part of its head just could just turn all the way around. and Like a horror movie. Like a horror movie, something that is not supposed to exist better than Michael Carpenter. And, you know, better than any, any of these, I'm sorry, not Michael, but John Carpenter, the, 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 uh, the horror filmmaker. Mm. And so you got a combination of the thing from John Carpenter to something that can not exist, but yet we just seen it. Yeah. And it left. And it performed an act that. Not only did we see this thing, but it actually did something to us that my partner that was with me that night, Mr. Denton, he got nauseous and he got sick. But when it come over to my side and it was passing behind the truck, um, uh, yeah, I'm just bring it, just bring it right on out right here because I like you, and and, and it just doesn't needs to be said. It was the most obnoxious, vile, acidic, battery smelling like it had blown up inside my vehicle. I actually had been convinced that oh, we just blew the battery out of the vehicle, but it was all over the car, all over the truck we were in, around the area that was around us. So whatever took place, whether if it was intentional 
and this was a self-defense mechanism mechanism from this creature we saw, or did we smell what it what it smells like when it comes out of the portal? I don't mm. know, but we wow. became he became sick. My throat closed off. My eyes went to to where I could not see, and I was just gallons of water coming out of my eyes. That's an exaggeration, but my eyes were flooded with moisture coming out of them because of this obnoxious. Now, now, brother, when I look at you and say when I grew up in the woods, we used to cut the stink bags out of skunks to put in our uh, people's locker that we didn't like. <laughs> so, you know, I know what an obnoxious smells yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, we were country boys. We did some pretty, pretty crazy stuff. This was a foul-smelling acidic like a battery had blown up if you've ever smelled a battery except multiply it 20 times and this occurred and uh i couldn't i almost couldn't drive the vehicle but we got out of dodge per se because whatever took place was such a sickening feeling and my throat had closed off i didn't know if i needed to get to a hospital but we remained in the park for the rest almost the rest of the night mm. We did not go back to that area, though. I will tell you that I could not, I could not take myself back there, and I just could not. But um, I don't know if any of that makes sense. But when you talk about a portal, maybe mm-hmm. this is when the portal opens and it came out of the portal. Is this possibly a smell or a residual uh, something that comes out of that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, who knows? Uh, or even, you know, wherever it was coming from, from to the other side, what was the smell environment there exactly, that could exactly. have carried with it? Exactly. That's, that's, that's incredible. Um, well, uh, listen, let's let's uh, wind this first segment down. This is a long first segment. Uh, we're going on two hours and 10 minutes of recording. So, sure. Um, but uh, before we wind this down and head into the overtime, in the overtime, I want to talk more about uh, well, we can carry on this conversation again sure. if, if we if we if it organically happens. But yes. I, w- I want to talk about um, some other cases maybe that you've looked into and stuff mm-hmm. in your time. Uh, but before we do that, I would like to uh, you you started telling me this story a little bit before we started recording when you first got here, mm-hmm. and I kind of think it would be a nice way to end the recording. Uh, but before actually. Before we go there, actually, no, we'll, we'll do that first. Okay, sure, <laughs> um, sure. You were telling me about how you, what, what, how did you come to the point where you're, you're going to talk about this stuff? I know you were talking about yes. Elijah. Uh, what, what had occurred, I had remained silent for years. I was never going to come out with this. Uh, I had been a police officer at that time for many, many years. And I retired in 2012 because I got hurt in a line of duty and, and, be honest with you, it's very hard for me to walk. And uh, so this this took place, and uh, I was going to remain totally silent. But what had occurred, I had read something. My curiosity had always been with me, and I had read just a little something, and I had asked a question, and I don't even remember whose group it was. It was just a, a, a some social media group, and a individual whom I would later learn was one of the finest, just up upstanding Christian uh, men that I've ever, ever known. Uh, he read my question, and the question was, I don't remember how I worded it, but it sparked in his head. 
and he knew that I had either had an encounter or that there was something up with me that I had known some type of knowledge for the question that I asked. And so uh, uh, Mr. Johnny Henderson of Cryptid Studies Institute, he contacted me on social media, and we started talking back and forth. And again, man, I'm, I'm about as frightened as, as a, uh, uh, a brand-newborn puppy that, that's scared of noises or anything. I was not going to tell my story. And uh, he generally, it took some time before I would come out and explain, and, and I, it would be hit and miss. I would not tell him the entire story. I'd just say a little bit of something. Uh, I might have been hunting in the woods, and, you know, I saw a little something. And uh, he just finally got to the point where he said, look, I realize you're a retired police officer, and uh, I'm going to keep this between us. And he kept the confidence all those years. He kept it between me and him. But what had happened, we had, explained, we had at one point had planned an expedition into LBL, my wife got sick and got COVID and almost died. And God rest Johnny Henderson, uh, his wife had cancer and she passed away. And then he gets COVID and then bless his soul and his family. Some of the finest people you'll ever meet. And God bless Johnny. The mem- God bless the memory of Johnny Henderson and his family. Uh, just great people. And uh, so Johnny brought me out of the closet. And this is how it took place. After Mr. Henderson had passed away, Elijah contacted me and said, you know, your story really needs to come out. And um, still hesitant, still hesitant, man. I knew it needed to come out, but uh, two things took place. Two, two, two more things take place. My hunting partner on his deathbed told me to leave his name out of this because his family would be left behind. But he wanted, he thought that he felt like I needed to tell the story of what happened between us and what, you know, what took place out there, you know. And uh, then a husband and wife on a trailhead in LBL, this was 2019 or 2020, uh, they disappear on a hike. And it does come out that they've got people out searching for this husband and wife. And if I remember the story correctly, they were on the Tennessee side. And uh, they found their car, and the family knew that the husband and wife were going hiking on a certain area. And uh, when they didn't return, they made a phone call, and certainly they mounted a search, and they were never found. Then the story disappears from the media. You will not find anything on the Internet. You're not going to find anything from any of the TV things. And it's classic uh, LBL style of, hey, something happened, but no, it really didn't happen. And everything just magically disappears. And so I heard about this. And a matter of fact, I read about the story going out over the, over the media that they'd had to have this so-called search. Well, they were never found. You won't find nothing. Mm-hmm. You can't find their names. You can't find nothing. So all this in combination, Elijah picks up the phone and gets me on the telephone. And he says, hey. I'm working with some good folks. And I said, I want you to, he says to me, I want you to meet some folks. And uh, he says, I want you to meet a young lady by the name of Heather Mosier that works with small town monsters and Seth Breedlove. 
And uh, we set up a time and an appointment in, in a uh, secret location down on this side of LBL, outside the park. And uh, they convinced me to tell my story and thus breeds uh, the fourth or what gives birth to um, my story part of it uh, in combination with a lot of other good folks. And we tell our stories on uh, American werewolves. But I was never going to tell this story, and I, I certainly was not seeking any recognition. And there's a purpose for my book as well. The book that I've written, the purpose was for uh, I'm not young. I'm getting older. I've had a lot of health issues, and I wanted it recorded. I wanted it set down so if somebody come forth five years, ten years from now after my death that Hey, there was a guy that reported this very same thing and all the hidden, uh, uh, the, the different disappearances, the different deaths that have been written up as animal predation, uh, and the classic, the classic unknown animal attack. Yeah. Yeah. Which has taken place not only in LBO, but in Cock County and, uh, up in Kentucky of all these people that have mysteriously come, come up mauled to death. And, and oh gosh, I don't even like the animal breed, but God bless the pit bulls, man, because mm-hmm. they have took every grunt and form of anything that dies, any human that gets attacked, and there are pit bull attacks. I sure. get it. Yeah, yeah. I've worked them as a cop, mm-hmm. but now everything is. Oh, we found the person drowned in two inches of water, or a pit bull eat them alive. Mm-hmm. The pit bull is has killed. So many people in the last year. Go back to the Kentucky account where the little boys dragged up 400. It's either 400 yards or 400 feet. Maybe we'll try 400 feet. Let's get into that in the overtime. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into that because that, that's a, that's actually yeah. the, the launching pad for into the, the, the conversation. Yes. Um, I want to give a sh- I, I don't know Elijah Henderson. Yes. Uh, I don't even know if he knows who I am, but uh, shout out to Elijah because uh, between him and his family, big reason why you're you're sitting here today. Hey, and uh, I, my 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 voice is not only trembling, but my I can't even hardly speak it. But big shout out to Elijah Henderson and his his sister Gabby Gabrielle, and uh, uh, his his great grandmother Miss Miss Henderson. Uh, they're they're the reason why I'm really here. Mm-hmm. I would have never come out out of the darkness. All right. So, your book, "Beast Between the Rivers," by Martin Groves. Where can people get it? Uh, the book is uh, available on on Prime Amazon, and um, the second book will be out within the next probably sixty days, ninety days at most. Okay. Uh, I wasn't going going to tell the end, the the name, but it will be called. Uh, a trace of death, and it is concerning the deaths and the, and the different things, dis, different disappearances that has taken place in the area of Kentucky and Tennessee, hmm. and of course the road that cuts right through uh, land between the lakes is called the Trace. So I've named it Trace of Death. Wow, that's and, a good title. Uh, it's going, it's going to, it's going to show a lot and tell a lot. And uh, we have to be respectful for people who have died and their families that are left behind. So we've changed some names, and uh, there'll be some different things written down, but we have to be very careful legal-wise. Um, 
the trace of death, man, because that's what the place is. It's a beautiful place, but it also holds a, a very deep and, and, and some sinister things that date back to the days of the American Indian all the way through. I mean, you think about it, the first chronicled uh, 1902 uh, uh, sighting that is uh, a newspaper account in that area was about two uh, brothers that actually shot at a gorilla uh, wolf-like creature in 1902. Wow. So, jeez. Well, everybody can get the book right now. The first book, Beast Between the Rivers, and the second book will be out uh, soon. And uh, looks like my other camera died now too. So, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I highly encourage people to check out your book. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. It is a written down form of what they heard today you sharing your personal encounter story from beginning to end. Uh, it really sucked me in and uh, I hope it sucks everybody else in as well. Yes. Um, and when the second book comes out, you're, you have a green light to come in if you want to talk. I would love and, to. And uh, we can go over more details on things uh, pertaining to the book and then, you know, promote it. So thank you, sir. Uh, last question before we head, to, head out of this segment, I got to ask you, if the answer is no, if you're hesitant, that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but, would you ever take me out there? You say you go out, went out 58 times in a year. Would you ever take me out there? Show me where these things happen. I'd be happy to take you out there and you will actually be the very first person that has entered the camp along with myself. And wow. I'd be happy to take you there. I've taken people to the general area, but I and I alone know the exact location of where this was. And uh, there's been folks that's been with me, but they have no one has been into that camp. Uh, since 1990. Now, I'm certain other hunters have either walked by, and they might have even had people that have camped there. But as far as people knowing that, hey, this is where Ground Zero, uh, Martin uh, and 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 were, and uh, something has occurred to me, Harry. Yeah, I know you're yeah, changing Harry. your names, so yeah. I, I just yeah. want to correct that because we were something, like, he said, <laughs> yeah, and uh, which is a clue, which yeah. is a big clue right there. There's something that, that I have left out, and, and I would just be terrible that if I had not told that part of the story. But if I can very quickly yeah, tell you, yeah. uh, there was so much to tell, but when the beast come into the camp, and it was crouched forward, and it was showing me its teeth, and it was attempting to smell me. And it was grinning as if it knew I could not do anything. There is one very important tidbit that when you brought something else up, it hit me. And uh, it's a part that I don't cover very well, but it happened. And that is that when this beast came in and it walked into the camp and I could see it vividly and I could see what it looked like. And I could see its hands, and I could see its claws. His left claw slash hand had a hunk of meat in it, dripping, dripping, fresh, fresh kill, fresh meat. To this day, I do not know what it was. I, kn I know what I, I've been told by others, what they think it is, and the portal and the noises and this, that, and the other. But you have to remember that I was less than uh, less than two miles, but over a mile from where another hunter died the very same night that we were attacked. 
Yeah. And wow. that is a hideous, hideous thing to even talk talk about. And it may not have anything to do with that, but it is a tidbit that I cannot leave out that when we saw this thing, it was clutching in its left paw, left claw, hand, a big hunk of meat. And uh, I just realized that when we, when we, when we were ending it out. And uh, I wanted folks to remember that and to know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you can draw your own conclusions from there. Uh, but as soon as you said that's what I, that's where my mind went. Yes. But I mean, uh, certainly it could have been any animal that it it grabbed along anything. the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do know that that hunter um, was killed that night. Yes. And the same night is when you saw that creature. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you hungry? You want to get some lunch before we do the second segment, or you want to keep going into the second segment? We can go into the second segment. I will. I will. Uh, my my. Uh, terrible of addiction of drinking Coca Cola, the real Coca Cola. That's a that's a private that's a private joke uh, about Ken Gerhart and uh, uh, Barton Nunley about uh, Ken buying some uh, uh, Walmart drinks, but uh, we, <laughs> we prefer the real thing, Coca Cola. Yeah, not but uh, not the knockoffs. Yeah, not the knockoffs. We want Coca Cola, man, the real yeah. thing. And uh, uh, there's something I was going to say, but maybe it will come back to me, but. It, uh, it's good to get all a platform that, that people can, can actually relate and to hear everything that, uh, to hear the truth, not sugared or watered down yeah, and not a diet soda is what I was trying to say. Not a diet soda. Mm-hmm. It's the real thing. Yeah. And that's actually, I'm glad you said that because, uh, before we started recording, I wanted to say, and I forgot to tell you, and I'm glad you felt that way. Uh, cause I, I, I just bringing you in when I bring people in, um, like you, mm-hmm. I just, I, I want this to be an opportunity for you to just say everything and anything you want. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's like, it's Hey, great platform. Just man. say it, just talk. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm over 500 episodes in people by now, they understand, they know, like this is yes. a no judgment zone here. Uh, I am very convinced I have no clue what reality is made of uh-huh. and therefore I am here to hear your stories. And so I'm glad you felt that way because that's Thank the you. environment that I wanted uh, for this. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you, uh, you got it out. You shared it with us in the audience and uh, anybody who's a member right now can head on over to the website or the app and listen to the overtime segment. And if you're not a member, well, then we'll see you next week. And until then, stay safe, take care and remember The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please share the show with anybody and everybody that you think would be benefiting from hearing it. Even the naysayers, the doubters, the haters. Those are the people you definitely want to send this to because if they're ever going to listen to somebody's story and believe them, it would be a retired police officer because the people who typically are saying, ah, this is impossible, creatures of the night, blah, 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 things in the woods, you're all smoking weed. People like that, they tend to would listen to a police officer more than you and I. So if you think this was a good episode, send it to the haters and the naysayers because they need to hear this just as much as you did. Thanks for being here, friends. Stay safe until next week. Take care and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. Coming up on this week's Overtime with Tony and Martin. Cave itself 
is a portal to hell and that cave itself is protected protected or guarded by dogmen. I'm losing my mind, yes, man. Yes. And see, and, and, now you won't get your average cryptid <sighs> or your 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 paranormal investigation will even no. they will not speak of this, man. man. Because it's like taboo. It would be opening up a, a new portal oh, and it doesn't fit someone else's genre. You know? Oh, man. So is this in fact a portal to hell? Yes, one, it one is. Of, one of the many portals to hell. I'm going. And then you've I'm got so to going. go. But you cannot <laughs> remove one rock. That's okay. I'm just going to go. Sarah. 